two, one, and we're live. You're tuning into Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin. And today I have a very, very interesting individual in the studio with me. So I have Kai with me. Kai, could you introduce yourself uh, to the listeners who might not have heard of you or might not have heard of Chan Hori Gallery? Who are you? What do you do? Please. Oh, my name is uh, Kai Hori. Mm. Uh, I'm a curator and I'm the director and partner part owner of uh, Chan Hori Contemporary. Uh, yeah, I guess how far back <laughs> do you want me to talk about myself? <laughs> Let's pause it at that. So yeah. Kai to me is someone who has a wealth of experience. So as we talked about before, Kai, you mentioned that you, you are a curator now, mm. uh, but you start off as an artist. Mm. So could you speak a little bit about your practice as an artist? Um, did you study fine arts? Or could you speak a little bit about that? Because I think that's a very interesting evolution to 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 go, let's say, from an art to start off as from an artist from that perspective. And as you grow and as you mature, you mentioned about three decades in this mm. creative industry, and now you're a creator. So please speak a little bit about your arts practice and mm. what what that is like uh, when you started. Well, I started off. Uh, I never. First of all, I never thought I would be in the arts. I never okay. thought I would be an artist. You know, in fact. Before I went to art school, I never knew art school existed. <laughs> you know, it was courtesy of my friend that I found that out. So I, no start, internet, yeah. I started off with, uh, by accident also, because of my best friend mm. uh, in, in traditional cultural performances. So okay. I have this one best friend. There's three of us, right? So one of the guys, uh, every weekend when we want to go out, we'd have to wait for him to finish his whatever practice, right? Yep. Like his dance or whatever music, <laughs> traditional music thing, right? And then every week you like wait outside at the community centers. Like, when is this guy going to get done? How long ago was this? This was when I was like 14, 15, right? Was this, it the 80s? 90s? Yeah, 80s, late 80s. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then, so one day he just said, you know, rather than you wait, why not you just join us, you know, and then be oh, part of this thing. Wow. And then I was like, okay, you know, I go into the room and see if it's okay. Cultural dance. It's a. Uh, uh, it's a choral singing. It's a Malay choral. It's called DK Barat. Right? At that time, DK Barat was, I think some of you guys would know this. It's, it was quite the thing at that mm -hmm. time. It was very competitive. And then Singapore was quite uh, well known for uh, giving birth to a contemporary sort of DK Barat as compared to Malaysia or even Thailand. Gotcha. You know, they were very traditional. Yep. We had the tradition, but you know, because we are Singaporeans, we need to always be a bit more modern than yeah. other people. Yeah. We need to invent. To have an so, itch, yeah. yeah, so that was how I got involved. And within this group, what was interesting was that uh, we the group basically write its own songs, right? Mm. And then at that time, all uh, uh, parallel to what was happening with me and this choral singing thing, the substation started. Mm. Right, so a substation became a hangout, you know, and at substation, you know, at that time, what was cool about it is that we all intermingled. We had poets and musicians and artists and theater people and dancers. We all knew each other and we all hang out. Okay, and we all uh, participate in each other's programs, you know, oh. and we we collaborate truly in a sense where even. For example, our uh, mentors, uh, this group's mentors, they were, uh, how do you say, folk singers, you know. So mm. they composed their own songs, they're poet. Uh, so then I also got interested in poetry, right? Yep. 
So I started writing poetry. In fact, two of my poems were published by uh, Berita Minggu, which is the national Malay newspaper on mm. Sunday, right? Yep. And then so I got published and uh, it was it was a way to get into the arts. Uh, I would say from ro- the roots mm. because, you know, when you are in traditional performances, you get to know yourself, your roots better. Your identity. You know, your identity. And then, And most young artists, that's how they start. You know, mm. when they first make their their early works, it's always asking about identity, whether it's uh, spiritual or gender yep. or political yep. or racial or something. So it was a good place, I think, to start. And good people that I met. Yep. Because these people, like I said, they are they were all intertwined. Like people in this thing, they were also involved in theater. They were acting on TV or they were mm. acting in theater. So I got to know everyone, yep. right? Uh, was it across various age groups like not just within one certain age yeah, group yeah 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 yeah. and then one day one of my friends uh, went to apply to enter NAFA oh okay you know and then he told me he said oh I just uh, applied to go to this uh, school you know called NAFA and and we were at that time in pre-university you know and mm. like we we both hated it <laughs> like, <laughs> were you doing anything arts related uh, like other than the traditional thing not really I mean poetry like, I was okay. writing poetry yeah. but for your uni uh, no I I have never performed in school okay you know up till that point yep. like uh, I'm not the guy that Uh, the teacher would know. Okay, this guy is the the it's actor. The creative or the creative, <laughs> know, never, the you know. Yeah. Uh, so then he, this friend, explained yeah. to me what it was. You know. And then I went to find out more, and I said, okay, maybe I also want to apply. You know. So I applied. We both applied. We took the entrance test, and I got into fine arts. Mm. Then this friend got into graphic design. Gotcha. Yeah, and then. So yeah, so that was how I got into art school. Biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> <laughs> so and, so and and just to just to <laughs> share with you guys, yeah. I know a lot of young people listening in. Uh, Nafa at that time is not what you yeah, look I'm, at I'm, right I'm now. I'm very curious. Yeah. You know, I could smoke in the classroom. Okay, <laughs> when I was in Nafa, <laughs> like when did you guys ever get to do that? Like legally with the lecturer in the room, like we could smoke together in the room. <laughs> While painting or drawing, or that was the kind of nafa I was in. So some of my lecturers were like second generation Singapore artists, so wow. really old. Yeah, like you know, you really felt like an artist. You know, mm. you were in this old building, and then you had parquet wooden floors, yep. creaky, and you know, you have nude models every day. Yep. <laughs> Just like <laughs> so, it's that that kind of nafa. Yeah, you know, where lecturers would speak Malay to me instead of English because. You know, she could speak either Mandarin or Malay, mm. kind of thing. Yeah. So was it slower and I guess in the, in, in yes, a but, sense simpler. But like what that, was yeah. interesting for me, yeah. you know, uh, also at that time. So most of my, my lecturers were were older generation, right, and very traditional. Yep. Then I had this few lecturers who were younger also. So amongst them were these three guys. Yep. They were part of our now part of our art history the group called trimurti trimurti is this concept it's a hindu concept actually uh, so these three guys is uh, chandra sekaran saleh japa and go ichu one chinese one malay one indian guy right <laughs> interesting and they were the counterpoint to the artist village who were regarded in singapore at that time it was tang dau who started artist village mm-hmm. and artist village was regarded as western centric and artist village was associated with lasal Trimurti is Nafa. 
Mm, so you know rivalry, you yeah. know the 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 greatness of this thing right and also my three lecturers from Trimurti is such that they themselves went to Nafa okay and at that time it was diploma level so we there's no such thing as a degree in fine art at mm. that time so when they graduated with a diploma they refused to be in the diploma show oh because they thought that the diploma show is lame and yeah. you know all these things so then they wanted to do their own show So then they proposed their show, uh, three of them together as a concept, Trimurti, like a collective and a very cohesive show. So they managed to get Goethe Institute to agree to put up their show. Wow. You know, so they were rebellious. Lah. They yeah. didn't do the school show. They did their own show, yeah. right? And guess what? Singapore Art Museum bought all their works. Whoa. And they are <laughs> in our art history, you know. So young people can make a difference. Yeah. I don't know why, you know, sometimes today when I speak to young artists, they are waiting mm, for something, mm, mm. for the curator, for the museum. You do it yourself, you know, no point waiting. The The museum people, they know what you're doing. It's, they don't attend doesn't mean they're not looking. They're looking yeah, yeah, for something, for a reason to go, Yep. you know. So maybe they don't come all this time because they don't feel like mm. it's anything they should really see, you know. But it, those were those guys were my lecturers, you know. And Trimurti, the these three guys. Mm. So we have one guy who is a very staunch uh, Buddhist. Yep. One guy very staunch Muslim, and one guy very staunch Hindu. Yeah. So I had that side of it in Nafa as well. And of course, they are more up to date, you know, in terms of conceptual thinking, uh, performance art. Mm. You know, they were the actually the first ones that introduced performance art to me. The wow. idea of performance art, mm. installation art, mm. you know, uh, and then at Lasal there was this artist village thing going on, right, with uh, Tang Dao and then the whole Lasal gang, like Suzanne Victor, Vincent Liao, all the, you know, all the gangsters, art gangsters <laughs> in town. <laughs> You're painting so, a very but, very exciting picture. But, but we yeah. but we hung out, you know. Yeah. So the place that we met would be Substation. So if ah. I go to Substation on any day, I would meet. The Lasal guys and the Nafa guys. It's like a friendly rivalry. Yeah, like yeah. we. It's not even rivalry. We hang out. Gotcha. You gotcha. know, it's just that, in terms of conceptual thinking, there was a very strong uh, separation between like Western ideas and at that time it was still the discourse was still that mm. Western versus Eastern ideas. You know, uh, it's not, and by this I don't mean like. For example, painting versus performance art, because artist village were doing performance art. Mm. Nafa, these Trimurti guys were also doing performance art. So if people say performance art is a Western tradition, it's not true, you know, because in Asia we have this as part of our ritual. Yep. You know, so it's yep. it's quite Asian. Yep. So the differentiation was not that, but the differentiation was more, uh, I think, ethical or mm. something like that. You know, very like, internal. Uh. It's the it's the I guess how crass your art is crass. or how Interesting. yeah because you know that uh, when we say Asian quality is that right like you are more polite you are mm, more the stereotypical know, Asian yeah, qualities yeah yeah so probably that was the friction there and then also the spiritual part like mm. that godliness mm. and ungodliness you know like you still have faith or art is your god mm. you know so interesting questions. <laughs> I'm very curious to know. So you mentioned about Trimulti and you mentioned yeah. about your experience and how I guess Nafa was back then. Um, 
Do you remember a particular lesson that stuck with you throughout, I guess, your journey even till today that you 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 got from school? Mm. So I was one of those guys. I don't think there's many of these guys, by the way. Yeah. Like, so I was one of those people that went to art school, not really interested in the diploma. Okay. You know, in fact, when I graduated, that's another story. I did not get my diploma. Never actually. pay money. Uh, no, no, this is this is another story. Actually, quite quite interesting also. What happened? But I did, but I didn't really care. Yeah. Uh, and and what I learned, right? Most of all, right? You know, in Nafa, every day, uh, at that time, we would be doing charcoal drawing, like it's still life. Like I don't know how many hundreds of bottles, apples, oranges <laughs> that I've drawn. Yeah. And then like a new painting every day, you know, like or or oil painting yep. every, every day, that kind of thing. And then if you do sculpture, okay, you do sculpture. But I also made uh, installation pieces mm. and performance pieces. I was very interested in these things. Uh, you know, sometimes the lecturers would like the older guys would like you know look at me and like what the hell are you doing you know what but 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 yeah anyway that's a that's a uh i believe that good art is good art you know yeah. like whatever material whatever approach then one day after school right after i finished this whole three years of diploma i was at home i was looking out the window and there were trees by the road mm. and then i look at these trees and i look at the leaves and then i l- I realized that I was looking at them in terms of how I would paint or draw. Like I would say that green is slightly different from that and that is, you know, the texture is like this. And, the, and then I, it dawned on me, you know, I've never looked at trees this way before. Mm. So what I realized I learned from going to art school for three years and drawing, drawing, drawing every day, right, is that I learned actually to observe life. So everything I looked at from that point onward had that quality. Like, you know, uh, one apple is never the same from the other apple. Definitely. Right? Because, yeah. you know, like a person is not the same as uh, very obvious. Yep. But then having drawn, having like, you know, look at uh, drawn portraits, for example, you look at skin, you look at, you become more sensitive to these things. Mm. You really go deep into like the textures of it and uh, so that that's I think the lesson I learned that I learned to observe the the eye you have the, the observational yeah. eye or the yeah. painter's eye really yeah. yeah and not just for the sake of painting just for the sake of looking mm. you know and appreciating because prior to that when you just a car is a car a tree is a tree whatever yeah. that is common is yep. you know a building is a building you yep. don't notice the details you don't pay attention to these things yeah so I think that was the most valuable thing. A, a realization, right? Yep. Yeah. So post uh, graduating from the school, um, was it? Were, were you set from the get go? Were you no. on, on your way to becoming an artist? I, what, what happened? I I graduated last day of school. Uh, uh, like I said, I did not get my diploma. <laughs> you know, pay library. <laughs> <laughs> Ten days later, I was in the army. Is that is that normal? Uh, normally. I I had hoped for at least one month, you know, <laughs> holiday before I yeah, yeah. go to the army. But this is like, and I received the letter late. It's like I received mm. the uh, the letter, and then like I have to go in the next week. Oh, so shit. I wasn't prepared, you oh, know, that shit. kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, the reason why I did not get my diploma is this: in nineteen ninety, 
Yeah, is that long ago? 94, mm. the, the year that I was graduating. No, 93 actually. I graduated in 95. Okay. Wait, 95. So, yeah, 94. Okay, so 94, I was awarded a scholarship by the French government. So French. French, okay. yeah. Uh, this one I'm very, very lucky because uh, this scholarship originally uh, I was the second person to get it the first person to get it was an artist mm. but that year they wanted a student interesting you know? yeah I don't know why so then the school they approached the school the school nominated two students and I got it yep. uh, it was a very unique scholarship where uh, you go to France you study wherever you want as long as they accept you the school accepts you Uh, you want uh, you have to take whatever test whatever yep. it is that they give you yep. uh, but you are not allowed to graduate with a certificate that means you cannot enter a course where you end up having a cert a diploma a degree or anything like that it's a very strange uh, it is quite strange yeah Yeah. so then I I went you know at, remember at that time no internet no nothing mm-hmm. so I damn blur you know go there uh, cannot speak French yep. you know nothing I know nothing you're like 20 country. years old 15, yeah, 17? But, no, no, I was 20, 19 or 20, I gotcha. can't remember. Yeah. And then alone, first time ever, you know, so far away. Uh, and and uh, the thing about it is this scholarship, the other special thing about it is there's no expiry date. Interesting. But, but I had to come back because of national yep. service, right? So MINDEF did not allow me to stay out for very long. So I had to come back. And I went to school. I went to this studio, this private school. Uh, it was boring. It was just <laughs> like... <laughs> Not expecting yeah, that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, so one day I told my professor, I said, you know, can you teach me something else? I've been doing this same thing in Singapore. Like I want to mm, do something Like drawings else. and still But life. different kind of drawings, you know, yep. like something more crazy, more conceptual or yep. something. So I showed him my drawings and then he looked at it and then he said, you know what? I cannot teach you. You know, like you, maybe you don't need to come anymore. What? So... Okay. I didn't go to school anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so my whole, I was there for half a year. Yeah. The wow. entire half a year, what I did was every day I became a member of the Louvre, member of uh, Pompidou, a member of whatever museums that was in Paris, I became a member. Uh, I go to museums every day. I just walk around every day, go to galleries, you know. Uh, yeah. So just doing that for and then I I went to UK went to Spain and Whoa. all this kind of thing yeah. and they were giving quite good money at that time yep, yep. you know uh, so yeah when I came back to Singapore uh, I missed one subject that was graded weekly you know even though the school allowed me to go for this scholarship yep, yep. they still wanted my grade from there then I said it's impossible because yep. I'm not even in the country how, how yeah. can I you know so just for one credit point they said okay you don't graduate I said okay I don't care very petty yeah, yeah but, <laughs> but I don't care anyway yeah, you know yeah. right uh, it was not until I finished national service that I thought you know maybe I should ask them <laughs> for this diploma right because I did so much I, yep. I as a student I exhibited a lot outside of school and I uh, organized exhibitions and all these things So I wrote to the school saying that I think I deserve the diploma. You know, like you look at my CV and you tell me which student did this, yep. you know. And so at first they did not want to give. Then mm. I wrote back. 
And then they said, okay, you come back and take a test, a drawing test. I said, I never failed drawing. I'm not going a to drawing take a drawing test. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so after back and forth, back and forth, finally, the president of NAFA said, okay, lah, give this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so my diploma is from a different year from that where I actually graduated. Yeah. yeah. Looking back, do, do you think your time spent abroad, did it affect you in any way? Like, you mentioned about going to all these different uh, exhibitions, mm. going to different museums, having, mm. having from, from, from my perspective, it seems like you already had a sense of curiosity. You really wanted to just expose yourself. You mentioned mm. about traveling across Europe as well. Do you mm. think it affected you in any I way? I think, I mean, curiosity, yes, is a thing that I have. And uh, why I stayed on art, right? Yeah. Even though I entered it by accident is I asked myself, uh, because I'm curious about a lot of things. I I I love things to do with science, things to do with uh religions, yep. uh, different religions, and all this kind of thing. And then politics, also mm. you know bureaucracy. I love all these things, yep. you know, to know about them. So I ask myself, where can I have it all in one place? You know, mm. and then I realize that art is where mm. I can have all of this. I can have aesthetics. I can have culture. I can have spirituality i can discuss politics i can it's the discuss, intersection yeah i can have everything you know all my cake and i eat all yep, of it yep. so this is why i stayed you know with art because i think art has that power you know mm. like, uh, that ability and that room for you to have this kind of uh, discussion uh as a tangent i'm curious to know what what do you think the role of art is it is what you want it to be. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, some people think that art needs to be activism only, almost, you know, like, uh, and uh, and then some people think that uh, art is purely aesthetics, you know, because if you look at art in an academic way, mm. uh, sorry, way back to the, how it began, you know, the history of it, a lot of it has to do with that. It's aesthetics. Yep. It's, you know, uh, composition, you know, something through technical and then the quality of color, light and yep. all this kind of thing. Uh, and it is still there today. You know, a lot of artists are still on that track. Mm -hmm. uh, and then some artists work on, uh, use art as a process of self-discovery. Yep. Some uh, use it as a form of therapy, you know, for community, for all sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there is one easy definition of what it is. But personally for yep. me, when I see it, I know it. But Whether it is in community, whether it is uh, in protest-based art. And, you know, there is a thing about good art. Mm. You know, good art doesn't lie. Good art speaks the truth, you know, and you know it when you see it. And you know it when somebody is, or the artist is just pretending or just, yep. you know, taking it the easy way out, you know, uh, yeah, I, I I think personally I have a good eye and a yep. good sense of uh you know what is um 
what I would imagine or what I would call as potential. Gotcha. You know, like like I'm I'm quite good at spotting talent. Mm-hmm. Like what is going to be, not what is already what already is. Yep. Like I'm not interested in big brands and all these things. I'm interested in what's uh, the up and coming. Yeah, yeah. what you're gonna become. Yeah. Uh and it doesn't mean young artists, okay? Like there are some artists who are quite in age, quite senior but not yet going to yeah. get there, you know? And I like that that intersection or that point where they are just about to, and then they need some kind of uh, support, you know? And I, I always love to be there. I think the potential point. doesn't discriminate. Like you mentioned about not yeah. actually being young because people, when think of potential, they will, I think the first impression will be thinking of young, but mm. it's a very good point right? because I personally don't think that potential discriminates. It could yeah. be old, it could be yeah. young, yeah. it could be whatever. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, have you always held this uh, personal belief in your, because it seems like this is how you would define art. You define art as when you're, when, when you sense it innately, have you always mm-hmm. held this belief or was it, uh, did you, did, did, did a mentor teach it to you or did you, uh, discover it through introspection or do you read about it? Mm. Yeah. How, I've, how did I've, you come to this? I've never had a mentor. I think, you know, in many things I, I do, I've, mm. I've been close to, people who are mentors to other people and could have <laughs> could have been my mentors but nobody seemed to want to mentor me <laughs> so i'm like okay you know trouble uh, troublemaker <laughs> well you know but i love sitting down with them having conversations and all these things i think it is a thing you develop uh for me at yeah. least right by myself through my curiosity in many things. Okay, I tell you a story, another story, right? Please. So after I came out of national service, I was uh, doing theater at that time. The good thing about national service was I was posted to a like a nine to five kind of job. Oh, okay. So when I at night, that's when I do theater. Wow. You know, so I have time still to do theater. And uh, when I finished national national service, I was actually. Uh, I took over with a few friends, uh, a Malay theater group called Theater Ekamatra. Mm-hmm. So we, the the founder left the country and then it was like going nowhere. And then we decided to let's take it on, you know, and run it. Uh, so I needed a day job, you know, yep. because the theater don't pay anything. We, we, when I took over Theater Ekamatra, it had something like $50 in its account. You know, but it okay. had a space. We mm. were at the Tolo Ayu Performing Arts Center. So that was our benefit, the space. But money, zero, nothing. Mm. You know, we're all not paid. Uh, and then I got a job at Tower Records, if any of you know this thing. There was a Tower Records <laughs> in Singapore? Yeah, it was huge. It, <laughs> okay, okay. Tower Records Singapore was the center for Tower in Asia. Wow. We were the HQ for Tower Records. So I was... <gasps> the artist, the store artist, we had this thing called store artist. So we did the uh, decoration, but all our decoration were handmade. The VM, is it? The visual yeah, merchandising? Yeah, visual merchandising. Yep. They were all handmade. And yep. I'm I'm one of the guys who make those. Yep. Uh, uh, that was one of the best jobs I ever had. Okay. Well, why? Is why? That? Yeah. Because there was Tower Records with I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of CDs in, in it. <laughs> yes. And then there's Tower Books, right? Upstairs. Uh, it was my mm. library. It was how I learned about music, you know. And you know how it is like uh, you have a jazz section, classical section, yep. and a rock and yep. whatever. Each of these sections comes with an expert. Like the guy who buys the CD, mm. who orders oh, it, he's an expert. So there's an expert in pop, the yep. expert in rock. 
So what I would do is I would go to each one of them, right? Then I tell them, can you teach me something about jazz? Like tell, what should I listen to? I recommend you something. Recommend. Yeah. So they will say, okay, uh, what level are you at? <laughs> and then like, okay, you listen to this and then, uh, and then like, I would go up, go up, go up. And then they would, we would have conversations That's about the music. Yeah. So, and that was where I learned about black metal. You know, that was where I learned about uh, classical, about free jazz, about, you know, all these kind of thing, like the details of the music and the music history itself. The, the uniqueness of each specific... Yeah. Was was <clears throat> there a specific genre that you didn't really like at first, but after a while you actually started getting into it? Do you remember? Uh, black metal. <laughs> 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 because my, my fellow uh, uh, artist, right, yeah. in Tower, he's a black metal fan. And yep. then he would like, in our studio, he would blast. <laughs> we had huge speakers in the yeah. room and he would blast this thing. Like, and he would... Uh, use the props to be, make his costumes and then it's like, it was crazy, but it was really fun yeah. working there. Uh, so I learned a lot about music, you know, and I met these people who are in the music scene. Basically, you know, all these guys, they are either in local bands or they are, mm. uh, they also like uh, organize, yep. you know, gigs or whatever. So, and then, you know, celebrities come to Tower Records at that time to mm. do, to do uh, promotion like promotion before their concerts or something like that. So it was a very cool place to work in. When there, whenever there's a new club that opens, we get first to Whoa, go. We get invited. That is cool. Yeah. New movie, new films, we get free tickets to go. It was to, such a cool job. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it was really, really cool. Yeah, so it was Tower Records and then later on HMV mm. came and then Borders came. So... Yeah, so that was, for example, how I learned about music, you know. So I learned about things in very unorthodox ways. Yeah, you know, like unconventional, really. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. no internet. There is, I guess, no social media, no nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I guess, through very tangible means, like yeah. talking to people, asking them, having yeah. a conversation with them. Another another example is uh, in theater. Yep. Light design, right? Yes. So light is basically color, right? Mm. Same as watercolor, oil painting, whatever. Like you know, you put uh, blue plus yellow, you get green. Yes. You know, same as light. You cross a blue colored light, a blue gel light with a yellow gel. In the middle, you'll get a green. green. Yep. You know, so to me, it is just a different dimension from the from the canvas or from a sculpture. Light has a different dimension. Uh, and then it, it has partly time as a quality. Time. Time, yeah, because it exists in real time, right? Mm. So... How, that's how I learned light design, right? So, principle, basic principles of color, color theory. And then what I did was I read up a lot on all the lighting equipments there is. You know, this is what kind of light, this is yep. what kind of light. Yep. When you throw, you get this kind of beam and la la la. And then one day when, you know, Suddenly, I I think I assigned myself as light designer for a production or something <laughs> like that. And then we, with all these technical things that I've read about, I just go to the theater with the technician and I say, okay, I want this light there. I want this Yo, can. I want this yeah, thing, this thing. And then you realize that, yeah, it, it you works know, like your, that. Your, your theory come into action because at the end of the day, you want that beam, right? Yep, that yep. You want, and, and you have that vision of it visually on stage how it will look like the rest is technical mm. it's like you know if you have a vision of something and then you need to use photoshop for it photoshop is a tool yep it's very technical actually 
but without the vision even if you're so proficient in photoshop what's there to do because those it? are just skills yeah, right? yeah it's tools right like uh so same you know the, like the technical stuff to me always like don't sweat it mm. you can learn it and then you can do it but you need to have that idea that vision of on stage with this much budget with these little things like what can you do what can you make happen uh and learning that way always you know like whatever way that mm. that it takes yeah learn learning from people learning from reading learning from doing you know it's interesting because from from your examples and from your stories really there isn't really a set uh i guess medium um mm. because when i think about art and when i think about art making i think the first train of thought i would think of is the medium and the medium mm. but from your examples it says oh you you did drawing then you you got into music mm. then you got into theater mm. you got into i guess dance going to lighting there is no set medium to contain this i guess let's let's call it this uh, creative energy mm-hmm. would you agree to that like because you also mentioned that um you shouldn't get too bogged down with the medium or the details of it mm-hmm. those are just tools that mm-hmm. those are just skills but the more important thing is like the vision you must have the vision and you say how 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 would you go about how would you advise people to go about cultivating that because that is not that's not something you can learn in school. You know, when yeah. I when I did theater, right? Mm. You know, theater is an expensive thing. Why? Why is that? Because it's theater. It's like you need costumes. You need months of rehearsals. Mm. Okay. And even when we were amateurs, like, we didn't pay anybody. But to get it going, like to rent the venue or whatever it's the venue big production. is, yeah, yeah, the production is costly, right? So we have to beg people to give us stuff, <laughs> loan us stuff, volunteer, and like, and we did, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. So that that's 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 uh, what do you call that? A way of uh doing things. What what was it that I want to talk about about theater? Um, vision. Yeah. You have a vision, but you have no budget, <laughs> right? So like, I have a vision when I when I have an idea for a theater production. I say, okay, I want this. I want this. I want this. And then my project manager will come. And then say that, oh, we got, let's say I need like $20,000 or something like that to do this thing, right? And then a project manager comes say, oh, we got funding for $2,000. And then you have a $20,000 budget <laughs> and then you're like, but the thing is this, right? For funding logic is like this. <laughs> if you accept that funding, even if it's uh, one quarter of what it actually costs, the funder expects what you propose. At a hundred percent. It's a flawed logic. <laughs> yeah, because the funding logic is such that I fund you one quarter, you go and find the rest of the three quarters, <laughs> la, right? That's that's funding. Okay. That's the logic. But you propose this and you accepted my money mm. <laughs> for what you propose, so you must show me the same thing. Anyway, uh the way I work was like this. Like what I would do then is I would ask myself. For everything that I wanted, right? Whatever special effects or costumes yeah. or theater, or whatever. Uh, and then I'll ask, what do I really need to project my vision? W- or what I really, really want to say? What is the core of this piece of theater? The core. Yeah. What, what, what is, Would you be, you know, is that like the message? Yeah. What is at the center of mm. it? You know, like, what do I really need? I Do I really need this costume? Do I really need this kind of actor? Do I really need this kind of stage or this kind of set or this color, this much color, whatever? And then I realized whenever I do that exercise, I don't need a lot of things. Mm, you know, you it's like the reality. Yeah. So you cut and cut and cut and cut. And then you say, yeah, actually, 
this lack of money did good for me because otherwise I would have this convoluted production, right? With so much like bells and whistles that yep. it loses the meaning of, you know, what 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 I wanted to convey yep. anyway. You know, was was it difficult to confront? I guess your own ego because you kind of wanted to do this, but I guess there was a lack of funding. You kind of had to confront this and you had to shave it down, shave it down, shave it down until you're able to to push it out. That's only the first reality, you know, the mm. funding part. Uh, well, what comes you know, next? Working with the actors, you know, like like and then actors rejecting your ideas, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like. Uh, so you have to sell yeah. them the the, the 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 vision. Like okay, for example, I had this. Uh, I always have this thing about about experimenting, right? Pushing the limits, and I always tell people who work with me, like, okay, let's do this, and then we are all in it, right? Like we we are all for it, and yep. we will do it. So actors, you know how much time and effort it takes to memorize scripts, right? Oh, definitely. Okay, they memorize the entire script, and then I would tell them, let's do this whole thing without the script. <laughs> you know, improvise. No, do it like how you do it with the script, but don't verbalize the script because you know it inside out i i need them to know the play inside out outside in and yep. like without the script can you deliver the same feeling the same oh, messages the same <laughs> you know and then of course they will like but we took so much time yeah, to yeah. like but now it's in you mm. like i'm looking like if i'm the actor right and you are the other actor i'm looking at your face mm. in this scene you know what i'm saying without me saying it And then I know what you're saying back to yeah. me. Interesting. So we are speaking, but people are just not hearing. They're not. <laughs> yeah. You get. They can't yep. hear what we're saying to each other. Yep. So things like that, but it makes things even more intense. Mm. You know, uh, or like I would have a play where the character is a sort of a not a human being, like okay. a, a a monster or whatever, right? But this thing has a line, also has scripts, right? And then I would say, okay, you know, like I don't think this character should be speaking like a human being. Definitely, yeah. But makes sense. So can you find another voice? You mm. know, like, but do these lines in this other voice, and you know, or we we would do something like uh, I ask the actors to take one uh, odd position, like of their hand or something like that. You know, like like uh, choose a position, like okay, uh, one arm up. And then for the next three hours, we rehearse that one arm is up to the point of Exhaustion. whatever they do, that one up is one arm is up there. Yeah. You know, to the point where it becomes second nature, or it becomes like they forgot even that their arm is up there, and like so, it's both mental, physical, yep. you know, spatial, and this kind of thing. Very oh. unconventional. Yeah, yeah, but but I have conventional actors. Mm. You know, I have actors. I work with actors who were who went to theater school even. You know, yep. like. I'm the one who is. I'm doing this maybe because I'm not trained. That's all I'm gonna say. There's yeah. no. And, <laughs> yeah, but nothing. Not, not trained in school. Yeah. But I train myself in other ways. You know, I I read a lot about uh, all the great like uh, theater directors. You know how they worked and that kind of thing. And then I tried it out uh, because I started off also as an actor, right? First of all, I didn't suddenly became a director. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, so I, I and I've worked with directors who directed me in a very physical way, you know, in a very traditional way. So the differences, I kind of have a feeling about it. Uh, and then I myself was a performance artist, uh, 
Yep. So I know how I can use my body and I know how fit my body needs to mm-hmm. be, you know, to deliver. And So you have been in their shoes before. Yeah. You know how to, I guess, inspire them, how to teach them yeah. conventional and unconventional ways. Yeah. But it's more like them also teaching me. You also, know, so for yeah. example, I had a collaborator, right, who was actually an act. He, he was, he's an actor, but mm-hmm. he was trained in classical music originally. Okay. okay? And then I'm trained in art, right? So... When I give examples, and now we're doing theater. So when I give examples, like to explain things to him, I give examples about art. You know, like in, yes. you know, in painting, there's this, 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 this. <laughs> and then he would say, oh, that's similar to like whatever in classical music <laughs> history. Mm, and mm. So I learned from, from him. And then we have an understanding, although it came from a different perspective. Yep. But there is a point where we meet, mm. you know. So the, these people understand it from from their angle and then and we agree on that you know uh so yeah so so it wasn't my job to teach you know so to speak but to share yep like one of the things i shared was when i discovered this singer called uh, diamanda galas mm-hmm. who is uh opera trained but her music is quite satanic you know and <laughs> she makes this like sound so she makes like she would break into a, a a a cathedral and then do a recording there. Interesting, you know. Yeah. And then she would put like little mics like in her throat or something and then do this. So it was really freaky at that time because first time for me to I discovered this singer and then like uh, my friends in theater they didn't know about this. So I brought the soundtrack <laughs> oh to <my> theater. God. <laughs> and I'm like, let's rehearse to this soundtrack. You know, this yeah. crazy. You know, like it freaked everybody out. Yep. But then at the same time, everybody discovered a new singer mm. like that you could actually sing that way or you could vocalize that way. People became curious. And this Diamanda Galas is quite famous. If you Google her, you know, she's uh, done, uh, for example, collaboration with John Paul Jones. Wow. And then uh, she's had concerts like everywhere, yep, you know, yep. that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's discovery. For discovery. everybody. So you you discover and then you discover together and then you do it together. I guess that, that willingness to discover is also quite uh, mm. important. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, is there a particular medium that you enjoy doing? Or are you, yeah, I, I'm just curious to know that. But I love curating. Mm. Uh, I love curating, I realize, at a big scale which okay. I, I don't get to do nowadays, you know, just to give you what I mean uh, by big scale. I used to work at the Palais de Tokyo uh, in Paris. Mm. So at Palais de Tokyo, I was a uh, deputy director and Palais de Tokyo, at least at that time, was the biggest art center in Europe. You know, uh, okay, this is Singapore audience, right? So I can yes. use Singapore as a as a space as a uh, comparison so singapore art museum i used to work in singapore art museum also so singapore art museum plus 8q the two buildings yep. they are about 3500 square meters okay okay palais de tokyo is 35000 square meters <laughs> so the entirety of city hall that, that was my playground you know <laughs> Interesting. so when we curate it's like really big you know and and also, we're really big artists as well, you know. Okay, uh, before I move forward, do you have... Okay, could you please define what curation is for people who might not know that? Because that term... People know art. People mm. people see art, people hear art, but people mm. might not know what curation is. Could you please define it in your own terms? And please, yeah. Uh, well, again, 
the problem here is there's so many ways to see it, right? Definitely. Let me tell you another story. Please. <laughs> I was invited by uh, Warna, which is the Malay radio station in Singapore, to talk about what a curator is mm. one time, right? It was very funny because I never thought they would want to know what, <laughs> like national radio, Malay radio, right? Mm. Uh, so the DJ also did not know what a curator uh, does, Actually right? does, yeah. yeah. So before they interviewed me, they Googled like quickly and then the first thing that came out out of it was that uh, the the curator works in a zoo. <laughs> you know, so there's such a thing as a zoo curator, which is true. Which, like, which is, okay, yeah, makes sense. Zookeepers nowadays, they call themselves curators. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go, right? Which is, I can tell you a story about that as well, uh, which is very true to me, you know, and I, I, I sort of agree. Uh so they asked me like, so what, same question, what is a curator? You know, so I see here that a curator works in a zoo. Do you work in a zoo? And then I said, no, I work in a museum, right? Yeah. yeah. But we are no different. You know why? Because once upon a time, we used to exhibit human beings. That's as, true. As, you know, living things. Yep. You know, uh, like in the Brooklyn uh, Zoo, they exhibited a man in the same cage as a chimpanzee. Mm. And then that was the exhibit. Not that long ago as well. Not very long yeah. ago. And then in Paris, uh, they exhibited Japanese people, you know, in a Japanese house. And then next door, African. Next door, Balinese. Yeah. Next door, Chinese. It's interesting African. How, how, how times have changed. It's how how yeah. disgusting something like yeah. this would be today. Yeah. But if you think about it, it's actually not that long ago. Yeah. But the classical, of course, you know, for art, you know, classical sort of uh, starting point is more, what do you call that? Uh, uh, pure. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the idea of uh, caring for or looking after, which is actually the job of a priest. That was how curating huh. took its concept from, you know, you care for, yeah. So curator cares for uh, the objects, for the people mm. under his or her care and, you know. Uh, but of course, then things have shifted and uh, curators now present their thesis, basically. You know, like you have an idea, you have a, uh, you know, a message you want to talk about and then together with all these artworks and artists and artifacts and everything and then you, you know, you, you, you try to communicate with the public you know oh. uh, but of course the communication has to be two way right like a lot of people or a lot of curators think that they are always right which I disagree sure. you know they are like holier than thou kind of yeah uh, I always love a conversation you know and in curating also I love to mix like uh, sometimes anthropological objects with contemporary objects mm. with traditional objects things that won't generally mix together yeah and it's not for the sake of doing it because uh, as an example uh, I saw an exhibit before in Paris it was a, it was curated by my boss or my ex-boss anyway so it was a painting of Jean-Michel Basquiat mm. right and then it had this title which I never I don't understand what the title is you know it's a name or something like that and then what he did was next to this painting was an African like effigy, like a voodoo sort of effigy. Yeah. That effigy had the same name as the painting. 
So that means the painting was about this FPG. Oh, that is cool. Well, wow. for John Michel Vasquez. Yeah. And then on top of that, he invited a voodoo priest to make a ritual, you know, wow. with the FPG during the opening of the show. And then you see the remnants of, you know, things on the floor yep. and whatever. Yep. And the the entire exhibition sort of like worked this way because he was talking about uh, uh, masters of something i forgot what it was but you know magicians basically mm. you know people who you know to a certain extent sometimes people look at art also as magic it can do yep. things to you that you never imagined yep. it, that it could and things like that so i love that way of communicating that the old stuff are not there just for the mix you know just to revisit old and new but it supports each other it shows you that the idea for example in this case of this african fpg did not leave the people mm. you know it might still be active somewhere in a village in africa yep. or in some ancient times but in the studio of jean michel basca he was in thinking Brooklyn, about yeah. it yeah and then you know probably today some of the people yep. still thinking about yep. it you know this how the idea is kind of eternal like it passes down mm. like that in a way then you can say that that traditional ritual is a piece of conceptual art, right? Mm. Because the concept transcends the object or the village yep. or the that you know it carries on the idea of a goddess or a god or a, you know whatever ritual it was. That's yeah. an interesting uh, thing to say because I would imagine you would need to be, I guess, flexible enough to 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 see it from that perspective, mm. to to see the the narrative of how the idea uh, trans uh, transcends, I guess, the timelines down you can see the, the the connection really and you can mm. have this particular thought i think that's particularly yeah, not, interesting not, not just timeline but also uh how you objectify it you what, know, that, what, means what you it, that means it is more fluid than than like an idol must be a statue that looks like an idol mm-hmm. you know that means it could exist in a contemporary painting it could exist even in the mind you know like it is floating in the mind until it lands on something physical It takes the form. Yeah, form of something physical, either as a 2D or 3D yep. or performance or whatever yep. it is. But before it takes the form, it is yeah. very abstract. Yeah. It is formless. It is floating there. Everybody knows it, right? Mm. Uh, and I think this is the idea of cinema, uh, supposedly, with uh, Australian Aboriginal uh, rituals. What, you what know, so, you so, so, you know, they do these cave drawings and all these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, uh, traditional cave drawings. And then it used to be that uh, the thinking of these cave drawings is that they are drawings, but actually they are backgrounds to a performance, to a storytelling. So the cave drawings come alive when the mm. people perform in front of them and then they would use a stick or something to point at the drawing to tell the story, mm. you know. It's so, interesting, yeah. So the the drawing on the in the cave on the wall doesn't live by itself it needs the storyteller yep. to bring it to life and it is like a prop. the spirit to be given life yep. and yeah it becomes a prop after that but before that you might look at it just uh it is only half the story for example you mm. know it's just something on the wall is just half the story it needs the other part of it but before that action happens that performance happens the story is floating in the storyteller's head, uh, yep. storyteller's head, right? It's like, it's there, yep. but nobody can see yep. it. But everybody knows this story and everybody is waiting for the story to be told. When it is told, then it comes to life. So, so it's contagious in that sense. 
yeah and and conceptual in that sense as well that it's very abstract it doesn't actually exist until you conjure you is like a ghost right Mm, it kind of reminds me of yeah. a religious symbology yeah, yeah like how how god i guess in in traditional christian theology i think god mm, spoke mm, like mm. the word and he created things mm. do you think it's kind of like the same vein of things like that yeah like that i mean uh also the like i just mentioned the idea of ghosts you know like we have this universal idea of ghosts yep but to each of us ghosts look like Definitely. Different, different you know yeah. like especially in different continents and everything and until it is manifest in front of you it's a concept only mm. you fear it but you never seen it yeah. you know isn't it amazing it is <laughs> i think i i personally feel that that could be extended to a lot of different things yeah, yeah, like yeah. i guess the, the the idea of jesus yeah. the like the, the even common words such as love death all these mm. things i think we each have our own definitions so of it yeah. art is like that as well You know, it's. I don't know why people have a very big issue with conceptual art because this is how conceptual art works. In fact, even traditional art works like that. Even paintings you think that is so traditional, like let's say something from the Renaissance or something like that. You know, they are not actually. If you study them properly, they are not very traditional. You know, the 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 models that were chosen to represent the kind of. Uh, uh accessorizing or ornamentation mm. on the paintings and or on the figures you know all these things they these are all calculated and deliberate you know and things like that uh yeah so but if it is good you know it stays with you you see a picture you see a painting yep. you go home you still keep thinking about it i think this especially relates to art collectors you know Mm. Like it's like if you are a toy collector, for example, you go to the shop, you saw this toy, you go home, you cannot sleep. You say, "Shit, I must just buy this thing." About yeah, that, right? there's that yeah. thing, you know. Like I need it, you know. Whether it's a memory of your childhood or something about it that 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 calls you back. So the same way collectors, most collectors buy art. I mean, I'm talking collectors, not in- investors. Mm. You know, but co- real collectors. They just cannot do without it, you know. They they see they need to have it. They need to keep looking at it, you know, and then it gives them comfort or it gives them certain meaning or something like that. And that is, um, you mentioned something about two way dialogues. Is is mm. what 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 do you think that special? I guess that that tipping point is like when a collector, when someone sees a piece, an object, it speaks. Do you think it's like a collective experience of the individual? Do you think it's the the just the the the, the piece itself what 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 do you think happens uh during this particular interaction because it is it is sort of like a tipping point not everybody mm. who sees this particular object will be mm. affected by it yeah. it is like perhaps this one individual that chose to came on this particular day yeah. at that particular moment wanting to to fork out certain value for yeah. this particular piece yeah. what what do you think that is i think it's very uh, much uh based on the individual experience like your life experience i mean mm. and we can never know like i can tell you this much about and this is only you know how many percent of my journey <laughs> you know yeah. like how can we tell right you know like 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 sometimes you you meet someone who looks very innocent very quiet and then you know when you finally become friends you ask what kind of music you listen to you will be surprised mm. you know right the same as col- uh, these collectors or people who love things who collect things 
like you don't know what triggers them and sometimes this is probably the kind of conversation they would like to keep to themselves oh definitely or between themselves and the object or the artwork it's like they have this special relationship and please don't destroy that it is highly personal yeah. In that sense, yeah so a lot of people who collect art have that kind of uh relationship and mm. and when i work in a museum right like we borrow artworks from collectors sometimes to to display and then when we return you know sometimes they will tell us like oh finally you know this oh, thing is home and it's like you know i i missed it so yeah, much yeah. like you know at first when the first time i heard that i'm like well, it's a artwork you know <laughs> like how do you miss and yep. you know but you do it's like a living thing you live with it right like like good collectors great collectors they live with that they don't put it in storage mm. every day you see it and then you fall in love with it and you never hate it you never you know if you one day you do hate it you give it away sell it away or whatever right yep. like if get, they you, do comes yeah, yeah. You, you get a divorce from the painting yeah. or something like that divorce is a very interesting <laughs> word to use for a seemingly inanimate object yeah. yeah but the communication is internal it's like yes. I mean I I have one painting at home that I bought that I cannot explain why I love this painting but what I know is when I saw it I keep thinking about it you know I go home and then it's like yeah I should I need to have it I <laughs> like there's something about this thing that connects with me and I cannot explain it and I love the fact that I can't explain it mm. you know because the moment I can explain it I get bored Yeah, you know, and like okay, I'm done. You're like now I know, and then like, okay, next one, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So 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 that is for this painting. So are there any other objects that you have purchased before or you have came across that that elicits the same feelings? Not just this painting. Uh, it it also I have a I have quite a bit of art given to me, mm. you know, by artists because as a appreciation or something they they give to me, and those. To me, are meaningful in uh, in as much as it explains or it describes my friendship with this oh, person. Yep. You know, so super sentimental, and then you grow to like Fondness, it. Yeah. yeah, there are artworks when I was a student, for example. So I was helping up one of uh, out one of my lecturers that uh, had a solo in the old museum, uh, Singapore Art Museum, the old one, not not this uh, current one. Uh, I saw his works and I didn't understand a single thing. I was like, okay, this guy is supposed to be smart and this is supposed to be good art. All the critics are talking about it. Like, what the hell is it? I don't get it. You, you know, what, 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 what didn't you get? I just don't get the whole thing. What's the big deal about this like pot with a, a, a what fluorescent lamp inside it? And <laughs> this thing is like, what is this thing, right? Like. But I know it's supposed to be good, you know, because okay. all the experts are saying that this is good work and everything. And I know he's a good artist. He he's good at drawing and everything. But these other installation things, like it's just beyond me, right? And then I didn't ask anyone. I didn't ask him. I didn't ask anybody what is the meaning of this. I I asked myself for a couple of weeks. After that, I forgot about it. La la la. Five years later, right? Okay, I forgot what exactly it is, but something happened in my life. Suddenly, I thought of his artworks. 
I said, so this is what that what? artwork was talking about. <laughs> so it was ruminating yeah. in your head and five years later, something so, happened yeah, to you, you think about it. And Interesting. that was not the only time that something like that happened. Mm. You know, it's happened again and again after that. You know, like, so I love not having the answer immediately also. If I have a connection with something like that, you yeah. know, like sometimes it takes time sometimes. So I let it be, you know, I, I, I don't have this immediacy to like, tell me, tell me what, mm. you know, but I do have immediacy for technical things because they are technical things. Like how do you uh, screw a screwdriver, uh, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> screw right into the wall. Like there is a way it's been done millions of times. Right. You cannot tell me you don't know. You know, it's different from an artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, so <laughs> going back to your time in Paris, in that big, you said you had a big playground. Mm. What do you think you learned from that experience? Because coming going coming from Singapore, mm. would you say it's uh it's very limited in its mm. playing scope? Going to that particular area in a new country with mm. new culture, mm. I guess new uh, a very different way of doing things. Uh how how long did you spend there in total? And I guess how was it like? Uh I believe you were leading a team over there. Yeah. What yeah. what specifically were you doing over there? And yeah. But there's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you that uh I mean I, I have I always tell people that I have this love-hate relationship with Paris. Because mm. the first time I went was as a student, right? I said earlier. Yep. Yeah. And then it was never resolved. When I left, I felt that my rela- my relationship with Paris was not resolved yet. Mm-hmm. I will come back. Yep. And I did come back several times before I actually worked there. Uh, I came back to do, uh, because I was involved in workshops and then I came back a lot when I was working in the museum in Singapore because I had to have meetings, mm. you know, over there. It's like, at one point, it was almost every month I was flying there. Oh, shit. You know, uh, and then I ended up working there. Uh, what I love about it as a playground, right? Before we even talk about curating actual objects inside and all that, mm. is the fact that when you are given the a position like that, uh, even as a curator, I was lucky as deputy director, right? Then there was eight curators under me and I had a programming team and I had uh, the editors all oh. under me, yeah. Uh, is the fact that people listen to you. Mm. People want to know what you think. And people respect your opinion. They might disagree, but they respect you. And then they, if they disagree, they will argue with you. Yep. But they tell it to you. They don't keep it and bitch about it at the back. That is crucial. You know? And when you present a show or when you are going to present a show, people are interested in what is it about these ideas that you need to talk about at this platform you know how does it matter in the scheme of things because we are sort of like in the center of the world now right this Mm. is the big art center like what is so important that you need to say it with this show you know so the context of the platform also matters as well yeah i mean people take you seriously as a curator you know in other places as a curator you're just working you know, uh, uh, for somebody or for the government or whatever. Mm. And then like, you just do what you're told yep. and then this is the way to do it. And yep. then that's it. And then, yeah, you have things to talk about the artwork, but yeah, you're just a curator. You know, like what you do don't seem to matter in the social life of people. 
And I, what I appreciate about it there is that it matters and people want it to matter. You know, uh, in Paris, they don't accept bad curating. Whoa. They will tell it, they will tell it to you. You know, they will tell you and uh, immediately you will know. Mm. And whatever you say there, it's like as if you are in Hollywood, you know, if you are a celebrity in Hollywood, whatever you say, the next moment, Everybody, everybody knows what you said, and you know whether they accept or whether they reject yeah. or whether they want to argue with you. So you are in one of the working in one of the biggest like temples of art, right? Temples. You you are taken seriously. Yeah. You know, uh, that is one of the things I miss. You know, it's a challenge for me. Like yeah. you know, I should not just do work like half past six kind of work. Like I must. Uh, know what I'm doing and then you know at least what I'm looking for and mm. if I want to look for it together with everybody I must know how to strategize that and you know present that in that way that particular period in your life was it um, was it like a trial by fire kind of thing <sighs> it sounds it fucking stressful mm. But it wasn't it was- <laughs> okay <laughs> it- why okay why wasn't it stressful B- uh, I don't know, but it just wasn't to me. It was what was stressful about working in Paris was bureaucracy in general. You know, like okay, with n- even not to do with the 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 art center. You know, it's like your everyday life, like dealing with the like like the city council or whatever. Oh, that, okay. that was. Frustrating, you know. <laughs> okay, dealing, with, dealing with the banks, dealing with like yep. th- that one drove me crazy, you okay. know. But in the art center, it's like I love it. Okay, as an example, right? You have an artist. Uh, there's a show I curated. It's a painting show. Okay, this place has never shown a full-on painting show. Okay, like just painting, never, never. And we're gonna do that. And I was one of the curators to do that. So two curators. And two artists, they were brothers. La. So they worked together, they paint together, everything. Mm. Uh, so we got them and then we said, okay, we're going to do a show here. Of course, everybody's excited, mm. la la la. And then these two guys, right, they wanted to show their paintings in a different way. And their paintings are heavy because they are made out of, um, uh, what do you call that? Like wall party, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, that kind of material. Yeah. Uh, so they have like canvas and then they use the putty. Sometimes because the canvas cannot take it, they need like wood or metal to support. And then they use like LED lights and then oh. they, they use uh, what they call like low-brow materials. They use uh, uh, spray paint and then glitter and then all sorts of yeah. things. Uh. So like a painting can weigh easily 50 kilos or something like that. Uh, and they wanted to mount the paintings right on a pole you know like um, pole dancing type of pole yep but our ceiling was like 16 meters high okay <laughs> so the pole needs to go from the ground to this oh, like top, 16 yeah. meters and then the painting was going to go, go on it and not one painting so on one pole there might be five paintings or yeah. different <laughs> sizes yeah. yeah plus they want the pole to rotate <laughs> like pole dancing, you know, but this this time the pole rotates and the painting will rotate yep. with and many, many poles. Looks so really nice. Huh? Yeah, when you enter the room, you see this thing like satay sticks, right? <laughs> yeah. Gigantic satay sticks and the painting turning. So I don't know how to do that. Even they don't know how to do that. 
but they have this idea and they had this drawing and is this they, like the vision you were talking about like they yeah want, yeah so they, the vision, they want yeah. this right yeah. and then so what do we do we call in our technical guy technical director and then say okay we got the artist got this idea can do or cannot do or how what 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 to do you know uh so the technical director says okay you give me two weeks or something like that two or three weeks and then i will figure it out you know i will go and find you know out how to do this and two weeks later or three weeks later he resolved it so there was a uh, the pole was there there was this motto that Whoa. you don't even know it was a motto because it's so discreet yep. so anyway we did the the thing you know this culture versus when i was working elsewhere yep <laughs> where like when artists proposes ideas like that uh immediately they they will ask the artist back like do you know how to do it Mm, oh, that's very you know? different. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't know how to do it, then sorry, you know we can't do. It. And then if you know how to do it, will you do it? Like you take care of everything, everything, <laughs> everything. You know, like so. The it's it's how you know we always imagine, right? This whole idea of being world class, being like international, being number one, being, but we don't know what number one is actually. Oh, do do you think we have a false image of what number one is? You don't even know how to get to number one. Like, you know, this is the, the what I just gave the example, right? Is in a way a process of how mm. people get to being number one. They have a team that is supportive, that trusts them, that wants to listen. Yep. That's like, don't tell them they are crazy. Don't, don't do this kind of thing. So, have, you know, I even had one artist, let me tell you, young artist, this one is a very young artist. This was when I first started working there. So I was told, okay, follow this curator. You know, this young artist is going to have a small project here, like mm. just to meet the artist at the studio, la la la. So I went, you know, and then artist was nice and everything. So they were presenting the project to me. They said, blah, blah, blah. Then we went to have dinner, right? Then the artist told me, you know, Kai, actually I had another idea, but this guy, the curator, don't want to do it. Oh, that, that, that triggered you. <laughs> yeah. Then I was like, oh, really? Like, what, what is yeah, it what is that, it? you know, he didn't want to do? Then the artist said, and this artist, he is very well versed in materials. Okay. Like, the way he study materials, like, he really study inside out. He knows it really, really well. And many artists there are like that. Yep. They know, you go to their studios, it's like a science lab or something like that. They really, really study seriously. So this guy said that, I want to put C4 on the building you know on the this part of the building alright and then so this guy says no and then so I ask so why not mm. right of course I know C4 is bomb right <laughs> it's like but why not yeah. but then he he said I don't know he said you know C4 will only explode if it is uh, given intense heat uh, da, 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 da. so he explains the whole mm. you know story of how a C4 explodes right and without this element, it will not explode. It will never explode. But when people look at C4 there, they will be like, what the hell you yep. know, is this? It will cause it's panic. The, yeah, yeah, that kind of reaction. So I asked the curator, so what are we doing about it? Can we explore this? And you know what happened after that? So the curator hates me, of course. Then after <laughs> that, he, he, he goes back, he writes to the... A fire department, he writes to the military, he writes to the police, he writes to all these agencies, right, to say, we have this idea, we want to do this. 
what do you think? Is it okay? Do you remember the responses from them? Yeah, so of course they all said no lah. <laughs> you know, the, the fire department said no, the police said no. The, yep. But my point is this. The curator then takes all these no's, brings it to the artist and said, I tried. Mm. It's not I say, they said. Yep. You know, I help you. Yep. So, uh, many cases like that. You know, sometimes they want to have animals in the gallery. Then we will go like their version of SPCA and la la yep, la. Yep. And then they will give advice. Okay, if you want to have dog doing this, you must train it, whatever, whatever. So we will make sure the artist will follow that uh, recommendations. Yep. Yeah. You know, so we will never say, no, you're crazy. You know, like, there's mm. no way I'm going to bring an animal or whatever, whatever. Like we will always, always say like, okay, let's try. Let's see how it can be done. There was one uh, exhibit where we created a river, you know. What in do you mean the, create a river? <laughs> a river, like like uh, it was... Like a body of water. Yeah, it was curving about... Because the gallery was a curved one. Yeah. It's about 200 plus meter long, uh, about 20 meters wide. So that is the artwork, right? Like part of the artwork. Damn. To when you visit, you have to get on a boat <laughs> like a like a sampan but the sampan actually is shaped like a coffin but you don't know yep. you you can't really see that so it's like group of fives or something and so, then one of you have to volunteer to be the gondola uh, guy, the like, green people the, yeah, <laughs> the guy who uh, paddled uh, <laughs> and then you go through this like gallery it's kind of dark and then there's like uh, uh, videos or things projected oh, like here and there you know like on the walls then reflection of the water. But how do you create that, right? Yeah. But we call in the swimming pool experts. We like get professional advice. And then it, it was done. Yep. You know, it was such a crazy idea. But that's one thing I learned working there is that it can be done. I mean, if there was one artist who wanted to hack the floor, drill a hole on the floor of the gallery... And then it, uh, basically, if you go through that floor, downstairs is the office, one of the offices. What the fuck? <laughs> and, and we did it because it's not um, structural. The mm-hmm. floor is not structural. Mm-hmm. It's just cement, right? Okay. After that, you can cement again. Okay. Why so not? So you drilled like a giant hole in the, yeah. in the gallery. Yeah. And then you, you actually can see downstairs like, oh, there's people working downstairs, you know, like as part of the whole kind of uh, design of the exhibition, you know? And and this guy who drilled this hole, right? Uh, he's a photographer, actually. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, if you think photography and that, it doesn't... No link. <laughs> actually link. <laughs> but because they wanted to create a ambience yep. of, you know, the whole exhibit. Now I want to yeah. see more rivers in galleries. <laughs> but I just want to go back to the, 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 the pole dancing paintings. Mm. You mentioned something about as a curator, you you had you kind of have to have a vision of what you want to to mm. see, right? You're creating mm. the entire mm. experience. So in that particular case, how do you gel both your idea of the curation and mm. the artist's vision? Because I think yeah yeah I think it's it starts for this case right when we show we consider that a solo show even though it's two person because yep. they work together as a unit yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, the the point of curation was in the selection of the artists. Okay. You know, so we know their work, we've been following and we're like, hey, let's present these guys, you mm. know. 
because of the way they were is the 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 super low brow material mm. okay is different from low brow art that a lot of people are familiar with low brow art is a little bit like out, looks a little bit like outsider a bit mm. like street art gotcha, a little bit gotcha. like you know self taught that kind of very raw very but this one is low brow materials just so unconventional so, materials so they took materials that are normally used in very ghetto style of decoration you know like uh, uh a, a, yeah a little bit of like you know like spray cans for from graffiti reference and then like uh even the glitter was like from spray painting type of glitter like car okay. mods you know that kind of thing uh and even the uh, some paints they are actually uh auto like what do you call this like car paint and mm. uh, you know things like that like that that you associate more with urban culture gotcha. rather than fine art and things like that uh and then the wall plaster thing at the party the plaster material which is a thing you use to cover up cracks and stuff right but also a thing you use where you know sometimes you use this kind of party when you want to cover up a uh, certain uh holes or whatever cracks in oh, in your vehicle or whatever right yep. and then you send paper the thing yep. so they use this kind of thing and then sometimes they use beer you know and they're painting they like all sorts of very <laughs> associated to this type of uh urban low i don't know like low wage kind mm. of like poor neighborhood type uh yeah. material they're channeling know. something right? yeah yeah So it start it started I think from the point of uh the choice of the artist you know uh but they had another layer to this the low brow material is one thing the other thing that they were into were occult what occult, occult. Yeah, okay like magic you know gotcha. like so that's why they wanted the paintings to spin so it gives you this like it it sort of hypnotizes you you know when you enter so they were into this whole realm also you know they they are also the artists they are also musicians mm. and you know things like that so to paint a picture of that particular exhibition when you mm. go inside there are poles of these no. giant canvases first when you go inside yeah uh, the first room is all black okay there's only three paintings three big paintings and they were all painted with glow in the dark paint Interesting. So you see these three big bluish glowing in the dark painting, abstract painting. Yeah. It's like that's the first room. It's total darkness except for the painting. And then you go through a small door. Suddenly it's bright and you see this like statistics with oh. bling bling like, you know, thing like turning, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's a like a 100 meter curve walk where we filled with this painting. Oh, that's insane. And then after that there's a stairs yep. going up and then there's uh, videos that they made. Where it's like hypnotic videos, mm. like you know, uh, just patterns, like you know, hypnotizing you. That Interesting. Kind of, yeah. So that was the. It's almost the a religious experience. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so because they were talking about, but you have to understand. Also, one of the things I understand uh, there is the language. You know that how the language influences the thinking as well. What What do you mean by that? Uh, like if you. Speak Speak in German, in German, right? Like if you're in Berlin, whatever. There is this thing that uh, I feel like okay, the German school, the Berlin school of thought, and then the Paris 
you know have a and this is not all of france it's just parisian mm. uh, and then french as a language has a, its own like sensitivity towards like how they translate english and how we translate french there is a feeling associated to the words like something gets lost in translation so or? for example when they say magic right mm. like straight uh, away magic means magic la magic show magic yes. whatever but magic in when i was talking to a lot of artists the the connection is not first of all to magic it's first of all to spirituality you know mm. the idea of like minimalist like very spiritual very you know like a black painting like how it contains energy yep. and you know something like that you know so you know the, the like when we discuss i love this almost like poetic use of words or the definition you know, as you say would affect how you view first yeah, the world yeah. and how you view the art because as, you as, are thinking as curators words, yeah. especially you know as curators you when you speak to the artist you uh i mean i'm my french is horrible <laughs> <laughs> but so the same when i was working in singapore right for singapore art museum i was looking after laos cambodia mm. vietnam indonesia Southeast asia yeah but uh, indo china i was also you know and then like when you speak to them a lot of them can really speak uh, good english and i can speak khmer or yep. you know uh, thai or, yeah or, or or burmese or whatever yep. right but i have to work in those areas so over time i learned to pick up on the nuances you know like the feelings and then i translate it for them for the artist like do like did you mean this this to say this this is and then you develop these skills kind of over time you know when you listen to enough of uh the difficulty of artists in trying to articulate mm. their practice even if it's like in indonesia you know i can speak bahasa or in malaysia with malay Not all of them can explain even in their own native language. Oh, interesting. You know, and when they do, the language itself carries different meaning tonalities, you know, you get a different textures. Yep. Yeah. And then you need to relate it to the everyday I feel always. The everyday? The everyday of their uh where they come from so for mm. for example i met uh, this crazy uh <laughs> twin artist right from yep. vietnam right they are called lay brothers so okay. i've worked with them and they live in hue which is the middle of vietnam so normally you go to hanoi or saigon you don't really go to the center which is hue and hue is very special because during the war it was caught in the middle literally you know like but then Uh, Vietnamese civilization came from there because the the palace was there, you know. It was you know Vietnam was under Chinese rule for mm. like a thousand years yep, or something. Yep. Yeah. So I went there. These two crazy, crazy, these crazy twins, right? And then, <laughs> you know, they they were expecting you know some big shot curator coming. And then when they saw me, they thought I was younger than them. And then immediately <laughs> they're like, "Oh, this kid, you know, what does he want, right?" Like. So so they acted like and they had tattoos and everything yeah, yeah. you know these guys and then uh so they they we were talking right so then I asked them about you know you know where they grew up you know their what did their father do the mother and then you know uh basically their life experience yep. what do they do now and 
And then after like half an hour, almost an hour, like keep chatting with them. Then they said, how come you never ask us about our artwork? You know? What was your answer? Then I said, your artwork is there, what? I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it now. I can see it later. I can Fair enough. whatever, you know? Yeah. But I want to spend time to get to know you. Mm. To understand where this artwork came from. You know, like if I understand your background, you know, like we, you know, then I understand it more. You know, I, what's the point of just looking at the art and not understanding who created this Yeah, it's just thing, as important, right? right? Yeah. So I said, this is the time we have. And then when I go home, like I have no more, I can't speak to you, with you like this any, anymore, you yeah. know, but the art will still be there. Yeah. It will not change, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can see it another time. And say, oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> and then they, they sort of say, Then they understood and they started, they gave me a bit more respect. Like, okay, okay, now this guy, you know, he's a bit different. Like you can, yeah. So I think it's as important when you are curating, right? The starting point is very important. Like. What is the starting point? Like that, individual? Like, like identifying, like in the case of uh, the the two guys that we curated in Pali Tokyo, like identifying first of all the practice mm. and then like we believe in it, presenting it to the team and then saying that look we found these guys and we think they are great they deserve a show and then we explain why and then of course your colleagues will shoot you down right mm. so, but this but that then you defend it lah. so the other thing I learned a lot over there is not that I didn't know this before but it reinforced my belief that when you choose an artist you defend the artist to the death because you chose the artist yeah. not anybody else you mm. you know if your boss says okay, I'm sorry, you know, this one, the work not good enough or whatever, and you don't fight for it, or the boss says, uh, uh, I don't like his face, please yep. take him out, you yep. know, like, you need to fight for it, you know, because you chose the art, you chose the the artist, you know, you can't abandon, if, uh, abandon it, even if you're working in a museum or like a state-run museum, whatever, you at least need to fight for, to the end, and okay, cannot, okay, at least justifiable reason you know to 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 for the artist or the artwork to be taken out you know it's like otherwise what's the point of being mm, the so-called caretaker right the yep. the carer right curator is supposed to care right you don't really care like oh boss say don't like okay too bad you know don't make my life difficult just yep. take it out yeah so this that is- you defend it you know This uh, attitude of, uh, I guess, this have not even confidence. Having this, this attitude of wanting to defending your vision of the artist mm, and defending the artist. Mm. Do you think it's common amongst curators? Or I don't think so. You know, but what what is good about it? If you feel that you cannot defend the art or the artist to the max, right? That means you shouldn't have chosen it in the first place. Mm, interesting. You get what I mean? Yeah. And if it's just for you to curate, to put together some art show, and all, then might as well don't do. Yep. You know, you 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 should choose stuff or artists or artworks that you believe in mm. and you want to fight for, you know. But if you don't want to, if you're half-hearted, then might as well don't do it. Do a different project, you know. Not I'm not saying don't become a curator, <laughs> but then find something that you really believe in. You know, I guess that kind of goes back to the to the collector and the object thing that you find mm-hmm. something that I guess kind of speaks to you. But in this uh, particular context of curator, you are 
choosing artists or you're choosing art pieces that speak to you in a certain way and that mm. it resonates with you or that you mm. want it in this particular format or in this mm. particular style. You mm. want to put it, everything together. Is it something like that? Yeah, but also at the same time, you must be able to accept uh, when somebody challenges you exactly. to that and then you know expose your the weakness of your defense then you must be willing to accept you know like if it's true then yes you know uh especially to me you must defend the artist especially when the attack is not uh philosophical but more technical like oh budget not enough or mm. like oh the budget was because you know this thing with budget right there is somehow always a way out to do things you know a very good example my personal experience is i work with team lab the you know, Japan japanese ones, yeah. yeah in fact i was the first curator to work with team lab here in singapore and That's before cool. it ex- exploded it was for singapore biennale you don't know how the much i fought for them man is like because their work was so expensive to set up and then but team lab also wanted it so much you know they at that time nobody knows who they they were oh, this is so, a couple of years back or? this is 2013 singapore biennale wow okay. yeah when you say fight for them could you give could you share a little bit of what do you mean by fight what yeah, did so, you have to so, push here so uh the the response at that time you know when when we were arguing about yep. you know whether team lab should be in or out or you know it was like first of all are they even artists mm. that was a question you know like because I can tell you this in Japan some curators think team lab uh, they are not artists. What do they think they are? Programmers? They are fashionable, <laughs> you know, like like something I don't know what lah. Fair, la, fair but, enough. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then like that was one of the thing. The other thing was that it's so expensive. Who's going to pay for it? You know, we must be fair to the other artists. We cannot, you know, la la la. Uh so With the help of Team Lab, I managed to solve the money problem because Team Lab is at that time lah. Now I don't think you can you can work this way with them mm. because they are very well connected people. Okay. So, and they really wanted that project, you know. Uh, and then the fact that I gave them such uh, big, so I curated it with my uh, colleague at that time, Naomi. So she was slightly junior. She was a junior lah in the museum. Uh, So we gave them like this big space, you know, the entire floor and la la la. And of course we are open to sponsorship, right? Mm. And then the good thing about Team Lab is, okay, we need how many projectors, blah blah blah. They're like, "Oh, I have a friend in Panasonic or in Sony or whatever." And then like, "Can you call them?" And then we would call. And then they'll be happy to come and say, "Okay, we sponsor wow. this one." Okay, and then okay. like uh do construction halfway budget not enough and then like Like a Japanese construction company, or oh, that's interesting. Say, okay, so everybody they, pulled together to yeah, make it happen. Yeah, because they want to be proud of their own, right? Because they believe in the idea and they love the thing, you know. So we did it, and then I think it is not even too much to say that that show was the show that launched Team Lab, like wow, internationally, you know, because they use that to sell themselves more. Mm. And more. Because prior to that, they were a uh, Uh, experimental sort of a design studio like u- user interface yep, uh, it was yep. it was quite cool i went to their studio in tokyo it's crazy it's like 
100 people working in this place is like an office building. That is insane. Yeah. yeah. And then because they're doing media, right? Yep. And then they have one room, secret room where it's all the experimentations, everything. Uh, they are hyper. They work around the clock. <laughs> you know, they have other ways of earning money. They do side jobs to earn money. So because the team is so huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the interesting thing about Team Lab is that it came about because uh, Inoko, the founder, right? He wants to stay with his friends from university because he's such a popular guy. Like everybody <laughs> knows him and he knows everybody. He want to keep hanging out with the guys. Yep. So then he created this thing called Team Lab. And then he, he, he first started off as a company, as a, a creative agency. And then he hired his friends. Interesting. But the way he hired is that he hired one guy from engineering, one guy from architecture, one guy from mathematics, one guy. So then they can invent stuff, you know, mm. and you know, okay, you know technology, you know media, and then like, okay, can we have the mathematicians like work on this? Interesting. Whatever. And then, so that's how they, they grow, you see? Yeah. And I thought that was really quite groundbreaking. And what I love about the work of Team Lab uh, was how they interpreted something like the fourth dimension, you know, in time. terms of perspective yeah. and time, yeah. Because they always reference Western pers- uh, idea of perspective and the Japanese idea of perspective, like, uh, you know, two-dimensional plus actually, a, 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 what do you call it, vanishing point. Mm. Because last time, you know, in most Asian, like Chinese painting, two-dimensional, two yeah, yeah. Two, it doesn't have a vanishing point. Yep. You see everything in one yep. flat surface, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, so they... Mm, that's they, a good point, yeah. They treat air as another surface because now we have virtual, right? Yep. So things can appear in holographic form or in digital form. Yep, yep. So they wanted to revisit that idea of perspective with, uh, you know, a combination of the Western and Japanese ideas as well as a lot of the, their works, if you look at them properly, they come from traditional inspiration, like traditional Japanese ideas. Like they would have an... Like a simple flower composition, you know, for winter or something like that. And then they turn it into something, you know, very up to date in terms of technology, holographic or something like that. Like yep. a new way to look at this old thing or old idea or yep. something. But like the that. roots of that is the the contextual Japanese uh, woodblock and all the mm, paintings like mm, that. Mm. And And what I like about it is, you know, like looking into the future, right? Like, you know, not at that, the technology they dealt with, they are always ahead of their peers. Hmm. You know, like, of course, a lot of the things they do now, like AR, VR, whatever, everybody can do, right? <laughs> but at that time, like, it was really something else, you know, when they they were there. So, uh, yeah. I'm very curious to know, Um, is there a particular exhibition that you would like to relive the experience of? Or a particular art piece that, or you would love to see the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, you know, I've been talking to uh, some old friends, like more the older works, you know, because when we first met them and showed them, nobody gave a damn and nobody paid attention, and you know, and I think they deserve uh, a bigger audience, mm. you know, and if we could recreate, so it's more the smaller things, not the big things. Big things I want to do, but new ones. But mm. the small <laughs> things I want to do, the old one and then remake, you mm. know, kind of thing. Yeah. 
do you have a preference between doing smaller, more close-knitted exhibitions or curating like a larger, I guess like a festival? Is there a difference between the two? I don't know. I For me, it doesn't matter whether it's an exhibition or festival or project or, you know, uh, space is space, right? Like mm. whether it is in, in, in a gallery or whether it is, uh, let's say, outdoors or whatever. Uh, doing theatre, for example, I directed one show uh this was after my theater ekamatra days you know mm-hmm. so it was at substation it was i think the one time it was done and the one and only ever time it was done <laughs> this way so imagine this right yep. there are pictures to prove this but just imagine <laughs> it for the moment uh so we did a re uh a rework of the story of faust Goethe's file so my point was okay this is the moment like an animated moment of Goethe's last breath Mm -hmm. uh, Faust's last breath not Goethe sorry Uh, you know when 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 the devil came and like okay now I claim my you know your soul right like give it to me and then what I wanted to do was this I wanted to number one uh, make it into a rock operetta so okay. not not full on opera but a small version so like a rock opera small version number two i wanted to because it's rock right so i also want to act like rock star la. so i want to <laughs> i as the director i told myself i'm gonna act like a rock star i'm gonna like get drunk every day <laughs> don't sleep you know don't uh don't even rehearse i don't even want to rehearse so what I want to do is every day I'm going to meet the the actors. We're just going to talk about this thing. We're not going to rehearse mm. a single day. And I did it. I was like, I was drunk every day. I didn't <laughs> sleep. I was like, you know. Uh, and then uh, we had a rock band that 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 was part of the play. Mm. Okay. The interesting, the other interesting part of this project was that the whole play was on the facade of the substation. So I had the band at the balcony at the top. Okay. My actor was hanging from the building. What? Okay. Uh, another actor was roving around. Sure. Two actresses quit one week before the show because <laughs> they don't understand what this thing is. There was a video projection. Oh, sorry. Video projection uh, at where the door, the substation is, the main door. Yeah. Uh, and then the entire building... The set, right, the decor, right, was made from sari material that I bought from Mustafa. Okay. I went with my backpack. I <laughs> bought like $500 worth of <laughs> cheap sari. Yeah. I went back to substation and I used wire and I made all of that in one day to decorate the entire building. Yeah. And it stayed there for one month after the show. Insane. Okay. And then the audience was on the opposite side of the road. There was a Kopitiam there before. Okay. So people were watching from Kopitiam. They were like at the grass patch. or like, like, like Woodstock. La. Like they got mats <laughs> on the <Woodstock>. floor. <laughs> we closed one lane of the road. Yep. And then it was a, like a rock show. That is insane. One hour. And yeah. then the whole script was uh, sung by the vocalist. Okay. Into one song. So it was a one hour long song. The same song, you know, but one hour with whatever improvisations whatever yeah so actor hanging from the thing and ridiculous <laughs> you know like video projection everything yeah. and all of this 
for a budget grand total with lighting whatever right of $5,000 what you know uh, and you say this is on video it's I have the video I have the pictures I have oh, the insane. yeah and the title of the show is uh, Die Faustus Die mm. <laughs> you know it was for substation set fest uh, theater fest or set fest I, I can't remember this sounds insane to pull off it, it was, but we did it because, you know, and we didn't rehearse. So the 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 day of the actual rehearsal, right? We didn't practice like, for like, normally yep. you practice for two months or yep, three months. Yep. So the day before the actual thing, when we were testing it and everything, right? Then the director of substation was like, this is tomorrow, right? The show is tomorrow. <laughs> we're going to have a show. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have a show tomorrow. But, you know, it's the whole attitude, right? But we were serious. Like, mm. I mean... Me getting drunk was not because I was a drunkard, but it was like part of the whole. You were serious act. about not getting serious, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then like, and everybody understood what I was doing mm. in a, in a way where I told them I'm going to do this this way, you know, and we're going like to hang out every day and yeah. just talk about it. So, the idea is everybody understands the story, you know, and then the actors, right? They did not have a, uh, entrance, uh, queue or exit queue. It's like. Everything, whatever you feel, like that's what it is. Mm. You know, you you do interesting. What you feel. Yeah. How was the response to it? I think people we got a really, really good review from a critic who came all the way from Malaysia. Mm, okay. You know, uh and and she's like, we really respect her. You know, her name is uh, Saida Rastam. She's a, a musicologist and a, 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 a theater critic, mm. you know. So when she wrote like glowing review, like I'm happy, you know, but <laughs> you know, we didn't really care about reviews, but we, everybody seemed to enjoy themselves, you know, like lying down and. That sounds like an <laughs> insane <laughs> production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we do stuff like that. You Good know? times. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm quite interested. I'm quite curious to know, um, are there any particular habits, uh, that, you have kept throughout all these years as a creative individual because you sound to 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 me you, you it sounds like you are brimming with creativity you you mm. you're just looking for ways to express it so are there any particular habits that you have kept uh, throughout i guess your journey i think you know being curious being continually curious uh there is a story about this but being curious yeah if if you guys can indulge me because it's it please, might sound a little bit boastful but please go, but, go but, ahead but yeah. this is this is the story of how I got the job in Paris okay please yeah <laughs> you know so I was put in charge of uh, this thing called the uh, festivals you know like uh, Singapore festival in France okay you know for that year I was in charge of visual arts okay you know so I was supposed to go like to France, look for partners mm. and talk to museums and blah, 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 all this kind of thing. So one of the people we approached, of course, Pali to Tokyo, right? And then at that time, I think we also invited their director to Singapore to check out Singapore Art Museum. We also invited a few other museum people from France to yep. come. Uh, so not just him, you know. So so I met this guy. He's a legend actually. But if you Google him, you almost cannot find anything. So this guy... The most famous cur- curator in the world, right? I can imagine is Hans Ulrich Obrist, right? Mm-hmm. This guy created Hans Ulrich. You know, he met Hans <laughs> Ulrich when Hans Ulrich was a teenager. Yeah. 
you know, roaming around in in Paris, yep. and then he met Hans Ulrich at the Cartier Gallery where he was director of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was before Hans Ulrich curated his famous exhibition in the refrigerator at his mother's house in Switzerland. You mm-hmm. know, so this is part of the story. But anyway, so Hans Ulrich is a reference here, right? Please remember. So this guy come to Singapore and then we, we met and then like, you know, when he comes to Singapore, I show him around, I go to Paris and then surprisingly, he would actually arrange for me to do studio visits and stuff wow. like that. He would get a car and then get people to bring me around. Yep. And studio visit, not just of young artists, young, uh, like middle career, mm. even legends, you know, like legends were like <laughs> so 80 cool. something years old, you know, like in the textbook and something yep. like that. So I met them. And then every now and then he would text me. And then he would text me. His name is Jean, Jean Deloisier. This the ex-boss of Paleto. Okay. He would text me and then he would say, uh, when are you coming to Paris? Again. You know, and then I, I would say like, what do you mean when yeah. am I coming to Paris? Say, yeah, when are you coming to join me? I said like, what do you mean? And then, you know, because he's quite a joker. Right? So yep. I just laugh it off. And then sometimes he would call me on the phone. Like, so how are you? You know, like, I'm waiting for you here. When are you going to come? <laughs> like, what is this guy, yeah. you know, talking about? Right? Yeah. And then when I, I go to Paris, I meet him, he would say the same thing. And then until one day, uh, again, we went to Paris and we had an actual meeting with him. And I said, okay, can I have, you know, some time from, can you have lunch with me? And, you know, I say, yeah, of course, you know, like this legendary guy, I right? want to have lunch with me, of course, you know, like, and then we went for lunch and he brought, the number two who was the operation sort of oh, director yeah so this lady and then so basically to introduce me to this lady yep. and then you know so we talk and all this kind of thing and then at the end of it he took out a piece of paper which is a contract for the job then so then he said so are you coming to paris Wow. You know, like, so you tell me now. Yeah, like, yeah. This is, because I tell him what the hell you're talking about, right? Yep. So now he showed me the paper. He said, this is this job. I created this job for you. And yep. and and by the way, the position didn't exist before I worked there. So he this, created There it. was no such thing as deputy director. Mm. So he created it. And then he's like, so you tell me now, you coming or not? So like, how do I say no, right? Yep. Yeah, but I still said, "Give me a <laughs> like, a, <laughs> like a day or whatever." Yeah, you know. But I obviously I said yes, and then I I went there. So when I went there, I I asked him this question. I said, "You can choose anyone to take this post, you know, yep. like uh, for you, like in the world, everybody so, wants to work here, yeah, you definitely. know, like everybody wants to be a, a curator here, whatever, intern, whatever, right?" And then why do you? choose me, you know, because I said, I'm not the most art theoretical person. I'm not the most art historical You're very person. unconventional. I'm not, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that kind of guy. And and then he says that, uh, first of all, you remind me of me. Wow. You know? Yeah. And then second of all, he says, you know Hans Ulrich? And then he told me the story of how he met Hans and how he groomed Hans and gave Hans like, uh, residency and then that Hans never left <laughs> you know like in the end they began say, you know yeah Hans Ulrich is my brother you know he's like a brother to me I'm he I brought him up yep. you know like in terms of I introduced him to everybody la 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 and then he said you are like Hans mm, interesting what 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 did he mean he by said that? Hans Ulrich is a forever curious person 
he is curious about everything and then if you see his notebook it's like you know it's so many scribbles as it's like scrapbook it's like you know la 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 and i accidentally also have that kind of pattern mm. with my notebook i the way i take notes is a bit strange to some people and then uh, the things i talk about i you know like one time this uh, john came to singapore right and then like we were in a car together a friend's car and then i asked him hey do you want to listen to my music and i <laughs> said what you yeah <laughs> <laughs> like and i do that for fun because i write music yeah. to understand musical things you know yep, yep. but i cannot play proper musical instrument so i ended up making techno music <laughs> like, so there is like shit what is, you know so to him this is what he wanted mm. someone who is not so straight laced in the art sense where you know about art history theory and la 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 and then he wants you know people or somebody who is always curious about life always like thinking of you know how you can make sense to yourself uh make things make sense to yourself and for other people mm. you know and then you 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 just think of possibilities you know like why not why not this why mm. you know like uh but of course at the end of it it has to still sort of be coherent uh, you know yes. it, it cannot just be clash everything and it doesn't make sense right so that that's the other skill you need to have so you know, the other skill is it is it something that you you cultivate through experience yeah yeah i guess and and not just work experience but yeah. life experience mm. you know i think for curators that is the most valuable thing life experience life you know? experience what, yeah, what, what, I mean, what do you mean yeah. the the reason why originally uh, i was not when i work when i was working in singapore art museum i was not looking after indo china but you know something happened to the curator who was and then it was originally handed down to a junior curator mm-hmm. and then our chairman of the our board said that no this curator cannot do this cannot look after say vietnam right yep as uh, because uh not enough like life experience to deal with artists who come from vietnam you know let's say you 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 go to vietnam you have an artist who actually live through the war Mm. maybe a bit young but then was there a little bit and uh, and all was you know suffered a bit of the trauma and you know all the suffering growing up in vietnam and all these things right and then you have a curator who's like out of university 23 years oh, old and I like okay. how do you speak to yep. you know how does it it's a disconnect make, yeah, yeah straight yeah. away so so something like that you know so you need life experience also to understand the nuances you know like you know have empathy yep. and for life and you know this kind of thing uh like me i come from a totally working class family i'm not from a privileged family i'm not from middle class i'm not mm. nothing you know like nobody in my family graduated university or whatever like i'm the only one who has a sort of a degree you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, 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 nobody nobody else has but yeah you know but being i'm the youngest in the family but mm. being the youngest in a way people always say oh you are the youngest means you are the most pampered right to me i am i had the benefit of growing up faster because i see the mistakes my brothers ah, and sisters make okay, okay. then i tell myself okay i should not do that i should not, okay oh this is the way you know when you get married this is what mm. the shit that happens you know and yep. la 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 yep. you know so i learn from observing them 
you know, as well. So in family, I kind of grew up really fast, you yep. know, yeah. Sounds like your still uh, life, uh, your observational. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, right. but, but, but yeah, it's about being curious. It's about, I think, if anything, like you say, as a habit, so when you are curious, you want to know, you have to do it, right? You know, like, yep. like, like, very childlike. I, yeah, is I, that I it? believe yeah. in that. Like, okay, I, I'm, uh, I love bicycles. I want to buy a bicycle. I want to build a bicycle. Mm. And then to build a bicycle, you get obsessed with like, what yeah. the heck is a, you know, is it made of? Can I build it myself? Can I just buy the parts and do, you know, like you make mistakes and you spend a lot of money, but you learn a lot. And then you can now talk about bicycles, you know, what, something what, like what, that. What is a recent example of this? Like a bicycle is a real example. Oh, you literally build a bicycle. The other thing is like, no, even, okay, after I built ready, then I built a second one and then what? Then the next thing would be like, what if I buy a bicycle from China? Is it really what they say it is? Like, okay, then go to AliExpress and then buy one and like. Now you have three bicycles. Yeah, but like that, you know, at one point I was like longboard, right? Yep. I had like 18 longboards. One eight. Yeah. And then I was like, why Why is like Duro, Duro like 80, let's say Duro 80 and Duro 82. And like, what's the difference? There's one number, you know? And then there's a Duro 90, Duro whatever, right? Buy all of them and then like, okay, test. And like, because you never know otherwise, right? Fair you know? enough. <laughs> so like, same like music, you don't like, you can only say you don't like after you've listened to it or films. Like you, you can't mm. say you're not into it before you even get there, right? Yep. Like, you know. So I try, like, uh, if I'm curious enough, uh, and then I try to make them make all these things or these hobbies or whatever curiosities. Yep. I try to connect them with what I'm doing professionally or what I'm doing, you know, even religion, right? Mm. You know, when you read things in whether Islam or Christianity or mm. uh, uh, Hinduism. Like I was so curious about, like I was saying, when every young artist start off, you're curious about your identity, right? Yep. So being Malay background, then I'm like, am I really Malay? You know, like what mm. was the, what was the uh, background to this? And yep. then like, okay, they all say that, you know, most of us came from Java and then uh, yeah, my family came from Bawian Islands, which is off Java. And then I said, like, oh, we used to be Hindu. So what is it like to be a Hindu? Mm. And then what type of Hindu was it at that time in Indonesia? Then yeah. I went to, because of that, I researched on Balini, uh, Balinese uh, Hinduism, you know, to the point where I memorized all these Whoa. certain rituals and everything, where finally, you know, a few years later, I went to Bali, but then many, many more ye years later, I volunteered for a temple in Bali for like a whole month. I was there like, it was, there was a cere big ceremony they were preparing. I was there for a whole month. You know, I volunteered to be a photographer mm. for them to document everything. So like 5 a.m., I'm in the temple dressed yep. like, yep. Uh, you know, Balinese. And, yep. and then I realized that I could actually explain certain rituals to the Balinese <laughs> because I read a lot about it so much, you know. Yeah. And then I understood you know, how we kind of the logic of it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so do it, you know, and then now I can tell you, I was in Bali for one whole month, almost literally in the temple every yeah. day, going to the mountain for rituals, going to the sea for whatever rituals. We did processions and blah, blah, blah. And this ritual I was involved in for one whole month, right? The whole village was involved in it. Mm. Like nobody worked, you know, everybody must focus on this thing. 
it was a ritual that happens once in a hundred years. No way! What the fuck? So every village will have one. You know, wow. it is like a reformat of the village. Yeah. It's like going back to zero. Yeah, interesting. You don't know how many thousands uh, of animals I've seen sacrificed in this like one yeah. month and like, you know, the the dancers, the costumes or whatever that you will never see in any touristic thing. And Yeah, but to be able to witness something like this that happens once a century, I think that yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So we had like processions like from this village to the next village, like wow. the procession is like, I don't know, 300 meters It's like long. a trail. Yeah, it's yeah. like a spiritual trail. Yeah. So I think that leads me to my next question. Are you spiritual? Are you religious? Or in, in any way? I I think I am. Yeah. You know, uh, well, I always continually try to, to, to get better about that. And I think that is a way for me to or part of the way for me to understand myself better, yeah. you know, uh, and and understand others better as well. So it's it's not just always about you, right? It's you in relation to everything else. Yeah. So yeah, I always been, I think, even when I was a very young mm. boy or something, yeah. Because I think that leads me to my next question. Like, um, has there been any guiding philosophies that has been consistent throughout your life? Has art changed uh, your view has philosophy changed your view of art or has it been the other way around like your interaction with creativity your interaction with art it has infused you with uh, certain life views and life philosophies that you have carried on I think personally it's a it's a growth la. yeah like I built on you know uh, when I discovered new things I, mm. I, I it's not changed in that way but it's a building on mm. you know uh, if you say change, right, then I would say bureaucracy changed my mind about certain <laughs> things about art. What does that you know? mean? <laughs> but spirituality builds on it or like all the other things builds on it. Mm. Like, you know, I mean, bureaucracy, like like you have rules, you have laws, you have like uh, certain political directions mm-hmm. that that is beyond your pay scale that you cannot <laughs> control, you know, like... <laughs> You don't like it, but what to do, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I always feel that uh, art has a certain sort of, has to have certain sort of purity within it. You know, whatever uh, it is being used for, Mm. uh, whether for protest, like I said, or for aesthetic reason or whatever, there's a certain innate, pure, uh, quality of it that 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 will make it shine through, and this is what I always look for, you know. And it's not easy to find, you know. Like I have a problem, I think telling artists that I'm sorry, you're not good enough. Mm. You know, I don't think you're good, not good enough. I don't think you are it. I don't think I have a problem doing that. Why? Why is that a problem? I I I. I don't like to be harsh that way, you know, so I instead always try to encourage, you know, I say, why don't you look at this? You know, have you seen this and that, you know, or whatever, you know, uh, I think I make a good teacher, but I hate teaching. <laughs> all I, all, I have, all good teachers say that. <laughs> I, I have thought, you know, I have thought in, I have thought, uh, I have been invited to teach different, different things in yep. like La Salle or whatever, yep. but I can't see myself there like you know all the time but but 
you know, if you hang out with me, if uh, the artists that hang out with me, they 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 will feel that I'm you know nagging or I'm like trying to 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 teach certain but, things. But, or, but I, I, I would imagine this is a very unconventional, even an ancient way of teaching. Like mm. not through a formal setting classroom. You don't mm. you don't learn through syllabus, but you mm. learn just through osmosis, like, to through mm. talking. You exchange ideas. Mm. I would imagine this is how. A lot of ancient philosophies, I think Stoicism comes to mind when mm. they're just like someone just talking, they're just sharing ideas. Mm, mm, it's mm. not, there, there is no uh, syllabus. Mm. There is no, oh, today we're going to mm. learn this, but it's just your experience, my experience, we talk. Mm. It's osmosis. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, you know, back in the day, I cannot even tell you like how many exhibitions, projects, and everything that, you know, came out of the coffee shop. A lot of people think that when we sit at a coffee shop, we're just wasting your time, you know, like <laughs> drinking coffee, don't doing what, like, you know. Mm. But from there, we have all these crazy ideas and like, okay, then let's do it, you know. Mm. And that was why that coffee shop across the road from substation was so important. <laughs> and also that one coffee shop like uh, next to substation. There were two, you know, one next to it where there was- Is it the Peranakan Museum there? No, uh, Peranakan Museum- is opposite Pranakan Museum. Yeah. There was, uh, there was two actually, one at the corner and one right in the center. Oh. And then there was another one where right now, what is it right now? Is it a timber there? Ah, the outside of timber, gotcha. there was one coffee shop there. Okay. It, I mean, most people remember it as S11, but there was a, another, how do I say? It was a more traditional coffee shop before S11. Okay. You know? Which uh, uh, prior to that, like a lot of artists, like uh, curators, all hang out there. I mean, can you imagine in the 90s, let's say, right? Until the 2000s, la, these coffee shops around substation. Anybody from anywhere, overseas or whatever, visiting Singapore, want to meet an artist, just go to the coffee shop. It's like, if you imagine the, if you read art history in Paris, you know, all these artists, writers sitting at the, uh, Café Le Fleur in, you know, uh, Paris Saint-Germain. That was our Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the coffee shop. Like, the whole mm. day, you see Zai Kuning there or mm. you see whoever, you know, you want down there. You just go there. you bound to meet an yep. artist. You know, if you're a foreigner, you want to get to know. Interesting. Now, where do you go? You want to which cafe? You There's no hangout. That, that is no, very true, yeah. You what? know, and, and they work there. Like, I, I see it like, the artists sit down there, they're with their notebooks, they are mm. writing ideas, mm. you know, and then when friends pass by, they sit down, they talk, and then they talk about ideas again, and then, you know, people have meetings there, yep. and yeah, we don't have this anymore, you know, there's, there's I mean, you have an art center that is sort of for the people, but where's the people? The people can't the people sit are outside. <laughs> They can sit anywhere <laughs> near that center, you know. Mm. Uh, so we have a we have a we have warped priorities, la, In a sense, yeah. We we and we did that to ourselves. Mm. That's the sad thing, you know. Like we have good things going. I was watching, uh, teenage textbook, right? Like it's now now it's on Netflix. It's a Singapore movie from the nineties. Okay. To be honest, I myself haven't watched it until recently. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Until recently in, in, it, it came out Do you in remember Netflix. it coming out before? Is it 90s? Yeah, yeah I remember. Okay, uh, yeah, interesting. But, but I didn't watch it. <laughs> anyway, and then like 
I watch it now only because you know friends they 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 feel nostalgic about it and then they they post <laughs> snippets of it on Instagram right. Yep. It's like what is this thing you know like. So I asked around. They said it's teenage textbook. You never watched it before. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna go and yeah. watch it right because the amazing thing about teenage textbook is the directing is so minimal. Like you know that they have no budget, but it was done uh, in a way where. Uh, it was quite smart, lah. Like the mm. the the way it was done, you know, like like um innovative and you know almost reminds me of the French New Wave kind of style. You make do with what you have, yep. and then the entire soundtrack are by local bands, mm, local wow. musicians, okay, and original music, like written, you know, recorded, and all this kind of thing. At the end of the thing, right? I thought, yeah, actually, it's quite a good film. It's quite lovely, you know, like you reminds you of those days, and it's quite Singaporean, you know. It's quite true to itself. Then it hits me, you know, you know, back in those days, we had this much musicians writing original score, recorded. Some of them even recorded with Sony and whatever. Mm. Where is it? That's a, and that's then a we good had question. this film, right? This film was made. And then the credit was to this thing called Monster Films. So Monster Films was a filmmaking studio that used to be at Substation, okay, teaching people how to make film, like film, film, you know, eight mm, whatever it is, right? Wow. You know, that means we had a film scene. Mm. What happened to it? It, it didn't last <laughs> you yeah. know and then you see the actors they're all like local actors yeah. and these are not like superstars or anything. I mean, we killed ourselves. Mm, mm, mm. How can you? How many years ago was that? Like twenty something years ago, right? Not that long. In so the nineties, right? Here. Like we had all that going, and then now, like we are still kind of there. Yeah, we have local musicians, but we are nowhere near anywhere. You know, mm, we mm, should have gone further. We didn't than, build upon what yeah, the past has done. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then we had uh, at that same time. I think there was like films like Me Poke Man and all these things. Mm, right? Yes, yes. And then how come we are like where are these people? Where are these film directors, filmmakers? Like we used to have filmmaking studios and or at least teaching people how to make films. And when you think about it, now it's all digital. Yep. Supposedly so easy to learn. Yep. You know, like you want to know anything, you just go to YouTube, whatever. But why is it not even there anymore? You know, so I'm I'm very curious to to pick your brain about this. So, um, speaking in, in a local context, there's always a lot of talk about pushing for the arts and stuff like mm. that. Do you think it's a matter of education, arts education, or is it arts appreciation? Like there, there isn't that 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 level of appreciation. To be within. honest, yep. I used to think education appreciation whatever. Mm. I think not at all. I think what our problem is, uh, it is with arts leadership. Okay, who is a leader? The None minister, comes to mind. The what? The museum director? The who? I'm talking about not managers, but leaders, like people with vision, mm. people that can bring the arts forward, and arts in all its sense, lah. Like whether it's music, dance, design, yep. everything. You need a vision. A visionary. You need a visionary. Yeah. You need a vision. You need a visionary, and you need commitment. You know. Uh, for example, the whole idea of the Esplanade, it was by our ex uh, president, right, Ong Teng Chong. Yep. 
it was his vision. It's not as if he is a curator or mm. he is a museum director or some something like that, you know. But you have an idea, and then like you need something like the country it needs, needs to something. happen. Yeah, yeah, and then you in a way almost forces it to you happen. You will it to happen. Like yeah. what? Like we know, right? We have this big like uh, what do you call that theater that like which Singapore theater company can fill, you know, in Esplanade. Mm. Like, but we sort of need it, you know, to to get things going. Yep. Something to be proud of. Something. Uh, yeah, it's leadership. It's like. There's no consistency in leadership. There's no edginess to the arts leadership. There's no, uh, I don't know. There's no vision. There's nobody uh, in the arts here that, when he or she speaks, I want to listen to so much or I want to read about so much. But it used to be, I used to want to read when Kuo Pao Kun writes, you know, uh, in the Straits Times and opinion piece. I must read it. Mm. Uh, previously, like people like Sasi Taran used to write, you know, opinion pieces. Or I, I feel like okay, this the if one guy I need to read, you mm. know, the writing like or his opinion like this guy. Yep. Now I feel like who am I? You know, there's nobody I feel like knowing the the opinion of or yeah, you know. Do you feel like technology has kind of exacerbated the problem? It's like there are so many different voices, like maybe saying the same thing, maybe we, saying we, different we, things. Which is why. Yeah. There are so many different voices, right? But a voice with commitment, with vision, with the difference, you will hear it. Okay. Right? It's like if you look at great leaders, I mean, even in Singapore, LKY, yep. when he speaks, he's he commands, he's uh, different. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's like you have no duplicate yep. of this man, right? I mean, his generation when, uh, you know, Suharto speaks or Mahathir speaks, it's like they have their charisma, they yep. have their idea, yep. they have conviction in what they say. Yep. You might not agree, but they really believe in it, you know, and you can argue with them. And, uh, but it's fine to argue with them, you know, but you cannot deny that they had a vision, they had mm. something, you mm. know. Uh, who? <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know what I mean? Yes, yes. I mean, not just here, even in this region, like, who is it that, that let's say we, we, we open it up yep, bigger. Southeast I, Asia, I, yeah. I think, in a way, the world has this crisis, you mm. know, like in terms of the arts, like the, the, not that we need a leader and then follow this leader, but we need to be inspired, you know, by, by strong ideas. Mm. You know, every generation have this, kind of like the philosopher king or mm -hmm. you know something like that yep, right yep. but do you think something else might have taken the place of this inspiration but it's a very diluted version of it because of the internet I would imagine when, when you say something like this I would imagine at least for my generation mm. we we didn't grow up with the internet but mm. we kind of got eased into it mm. and it became the go-to source I mean and with that as the go-to source it's very different from perhaps your generation mm. needing to talk to people needing to go to the library it's a lot I, I, easier I, I, I don't think the internet is it. Mm. I mean, although we conveniently say, you know, always, right? I think it's this whole idea of uh, an art market. And Okay. You know, because if you want, if you want to say difference when I, what I grew up with and what you guys grew up with, when I grew up, right, you go, your artwork go to auctions mm -hmm. when you are dead. <laughs> now, you can paint today 
two years later, three years later, your artwork is in auction. You are still alive. You are still maybe 35 years old or 40 years old. Your work, your work is in auction already. What's the implication of these two things? That means the idea of market or capital dominates now. Mm. And along with capital is the whole packaging. You know, you need to brand it. You need mm. to like look good. You need to have people talk about you a lot. You need to have a lot of publicity. But people don't need to talk real things, you know. Fluff. Uh, yeah, it's just fluff. Like, it's, as long as people are talking, mm. you know. Like, where is the art critic today? We have no art critics. You know, as long as there is no room for criticism, how can anything improve? That's, how can, that's a fair point. You know, it's like if everybody says only nice things and then the bad things don't say, just say the nice things, then really what are we saying? What is the point of saying anything at all? You know? Uh, like, I remember one time uh, when I was working in the museum here and then I, I, I visited museums in Germany, you know, like, so yep. we, we did this tour, right? Like, so studies and then, so we, I visited this one museum in Berlin, which is a, a national museum, right? And then the work is a contemporary art museum. The work they presented, I totally don't get, you know, it's so difficult. It's, it's, it's like, it's so academic. Mm. And then I asked the curator, I said, you know, you are a national museum, right? Like, like, how do you, as a curator, defend your choice of presenting art that is so difficult? Mm. Even I, as a curator, don't get it. Mm. Like, what more, like, the public and yeah, whatever. The right? common man, yeah. You know what was the answer? We are a public institution. If we don't do it, who will do it? Wow. So you expect the private people to do the difficult stuff? The mm. private people want to do the bling-bling stuff. Mm. You know? But as a public institution, you are funded by the people. You should do the difficult things, you know, like difficult to understand and whatever. Because it, it, it challenges the, yeah, the, the you notion. Know, and, that, yeah, and that's what you should do. That's a sort of a national responsibility, right? To educate like the almost a purist yep. take on what art is. Yep. You know, the rest of them, because they are driven by money, by glamour, by whatever publicity, whatever it is that they want. Yeah, they can do all these funny things, you know, with art. But now we have come to a time where there's not even, I mean, the serious stuff don't even like, where do you find the serious stuff now? Mm. You know, everything is bling. Everything is, you know, uh, marketable. Uh, there's a price tag to everything. Yep, yep. You know, uh, art fairs everywhere and then auctions everywhere. And then, you know, your worth is dictated by how much you sell in an auction mm. or how much you sell in a fact, basically how much you sell uh, yep, and how yep. your price keep rising. And so a lot of young artists I meet like, you know, uh, sometimes there's a few that I spoke to where their target is to be in an art fair, you know, like the more prestigious sure. the yeah. art fair, that's the like, <clears throat> okay, I, I don't want to be in a Art Basel Hong Kong. I want to be in Art Basel in Basel. Sure. That's the target. I'm like, the first time I heard that, I was like, what is that even, you know? Like, it's an art fair. Yeah. Like, it's not even a museum. It's, you're not even saying that I want to be in this museum, mm. you know, like my work will be, you know, collected by this museum. 
it's not even that. Is that a common uh common misconception or a common mistake that you you see among young artists? Like the trajectory that they have in mind or the perspective they have is a bit different. It's a bit strange. It, it, it is different. However, I have to say this. Like, it doesn't mean that they are more professional. Yikes. You know, you want to be in an art fair like Basel, right? Yeah. You need a certain level of professionalism or professional attitude, professional work uh, culture. I'm sure, yeah. Because it's market, it's yes. business. Yeah. You know? Like As with it, anything, yeah. Yeah, if you if you know these artists who are there who or who are doing well, like the artists I work with in uh in Paris, for example, right? Like I'm and if I give examples of like young artists, uh how they conduct themselves, how they you know, like if I meet an artist, for example, like new, right? And then, you know, I introduce myself and then I'm like, Oh, I'm curator at the Palais and then they're like, Oh my god, you know. Like, can I have your email and everything? So I give my card. I I'm I don't have an issue, you know, mm-hmm. giving my email away to 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 young artists. I give them my card. Within five minutes, I will receive their CV plus their portfolio, like in PDF, like super nice. They have it on the standby. Can view already, lah. Yeah. yeah, you you basically receive on your phone and then like yeah. Can talk and, already. It, yeah. and it's a norm, you know. Interesting. It's a norm. You go away, right? You just say hi, shake hand, yep. give card. Like five minutes later, you get their portfolio. Here, right? You have to beg them to get, <laughs> can you like oh, no. uh, send me something? And, uh, and then when they send you stuff, it's like, okay, they just send you a link to their website. You oh, look no. yourself. You know, it's like, <laughs> these guys also have website. They also, yep. you know, but they make it easy for you to, to look at. And to me, that is mutual respect. You know, mm. that's your job as an artist to present yourself. If you don't have a gallery, so okay, then you present yourself. And then the job of a curator is to look at, you know, everybody possible, like, uh, you know, who's the next, you know, maybe yep, yep, this yep. guy is it, you know, that kind of it thing. It sounds almost as, as as if we're making it difficult for ourselves to yeah. <laughs> to, to be professional. Like, <laughs> I know, right? And then, and then recently I was talking to another artist. Right? Yeah. I said, you know, when you... Uh, like let's say you play guitar mm. you know you will talk about all the different types of guitars right even let's say electric guitars okay all this one made in what year what wood whatever the details like yeah that. everything even the string you change this string and that string the thickness the whatever different sound and the m and the blah 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 yep. and then you paint right do you do the same with painting how many brushes do you have yeah, how many to, different yeah, yeah. many people don't do that but that's like what's the difference between this canvas and that canvas and that and that you know like but if you call yourself a professional yep you know like if you pride yourself as an artist then you know you need to test these things out just like if you're a musician you go all out you know you you find means to I'm not saying that uh, money is there for everybody right but same everyone like even people who play soccer, right? You have one pair of boots, you know, <laughs> if you can't afford, you know, but you do dream of it. Hey, what if I wear that? What if I play this ball? This ball is different mm, from that ball. Mm, and uh, and then this pitch is different yep. from this. You know, it makes the way I play la la la, whatever. Yeah. So even, even for the guitar analogy, though these mm. are just means of creating the thing, the thing which mm. is music, you mm. need to know your tools. Yeah. And you need to be even familiar with your tools in order for the creativity to express itself. Because yeah. if, if you don't know, 
I guess uh, let's say a full range of all the all the different strings. You don't yeah. know what these different sounds yeah. to, and you assume that you you don't like, right? Then you're yeah. always missing out yeah. that particular segment of what it could create. Yeah. Same thing with painting. I would imagine the same thing with a lot of different th- uh, aspects of creativity yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of artists I uh, come across like they use the materials, especially painters, like what comes to hand you know or what they can afford mm. and then that's it and then it's kind of stops there you know even when they do later have money it's like yeah but i'm used to this already mm. you know i i'm not gonna shift but actually never tried any other thing before mm, that's quite you know <laughs> but there's m- many of this you know yeah but you know and then the other thing is funding right like mm. It's ridiculous amount of money that you know in terms of like no money. Where when I when I work uh, uh, in in France, like, but the artists are just so excited. It's like to be given the opportunity, you know, like, uh, okay, what is the budget for this work? Like down there, you know, space is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Not like here, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have an. There was one time we had we hijacked the Lyon Biennale, so we opened a show next to the Biennale in mm-hmm. an old warehouse. Yep massive warehouse and we only have I think like eight artists and then the budget for each artist right thousand five okay mind you uh, this warehouse no electricity no light your shack no nothing you know okay here let's say you okay lah thousand five euro but even you you convert is in terms of uh, given the, the the place you know like is say thousand five Singapore yep but the work they did was like amazing and and it's not like okay I get $1,005 I'm gonna spend $1,005 I get this opportunity whatever it takes this is $1,005 I, if I need to add on I add mm, on you know because mm. it shows me right mm. you know and then even there the other if you want to say fun things that we do you know ideas right was that so we set up this show you know we got a generator blah blah whatever everything I didn't curate it there was a curator curating mm. it I was supervising it mm. and this curator was a guest curator and then so of course my boss wants to check right wants to see what is the result because I'm supervising he's never seen it yep. you know and then the night before the Biennale opens he said okay I'm gonna come to Leon and uh uh I will arrive at midnight. Okay. And I want to see it at midnight. You know? Okay. We are also tired. How yep. many days setting up everything? So he said, okay, you all bring the artist for dinner at this place. Like he strategized to bring artists at dinner. This this place, like nice place, a really mm. nice place, whatever. And then I will meet you there. You know, and then we go to the side. We're like, at midnight, you're like, after dinner, you're going like, to, okay, whatever, right? Yeah. And he came like midnight. And then in the end, everybody went back to the warehouse, mm. you know, with the artists, everything. Like everybody said, okay, let's all go together. So we went back to this warehouse at midnight for my boss to just take a look at the setup, everything, right? Okay, this is what I want to say. We realized that at midnight, it looks beautiful. Oh, that's interesting. And then we told him, because our idea is to hijack the Vietnamese <laughs> to introduce these artists. Yeah. Because we know a lot of big shots are coming and all his friends, right? Then we said, can you bring your friends here to view this exhibition at midnight instead? <laughs> and I said, yeah, there's an idea. And he did it. Wow. You know, we, we threw the idea. And because you, you want to show this young artist or this artist that new discoveries, 
Like you want to give them a platform, a voice, you know, you want to introduce them to all these big people, yep. you know, and then you feel that actually this timing is really nice, you know, and it will feel very exclusive. It's like mm. only these VIPs will come, yep, will yep, know yep. to come at midnight. Yep. So we, we, we did it. You know, we, it's like that open to idea. You think that can happen here? Like a museum director will say, okay, I will come at midnight. And I will like, I call all my friends and uh, from their bed and like, you know, to enjoy this special moment. There seems to be a, a sort of, unfortunately, there, there, there seems to be a, a sort of missing creative energy here. Mm. Yeah. So like I said, it's about leadership, it's vision. Because if you love it, right, if you have this vision, right, you do it because you, you live for this. Mm. You don't wait another day. You're like, okay, midnight is the moment we do it at midnight. And so a, like, a bit of that spontaneity. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is for a future, you know. You're not thinking the moment. You're, I'm not doing this thing at midnight because I want publicity, all the journalists to come. There was no journalist at that thing, midnight thing that we did. But it was all the big shots, mm. you know, like, I tell you the amount of stamina you need to have, <laughs> you know, like, I once actually fainted, you know, like, mm. uh, uh, like at a festival uh, dinner. <laughs> what happened? Because I was just so tired. Mm-hmm. And my boss is like 60 plus and he's still going strong. Yeah. I was like, this was in, this was in Marseille. We were like morning, we went to work in Paris, right? Yep. And then like after that, noontime, I took the train with my boss. Okay, we go to Marseille. And then immediately we arrive, we like visit studio, we see exhibitions, la la la. And then finally the dinner is like 10 at night. Oh, That's dinner, up. you know? <laughs> then like, I was already, you know, I was tired, but I I didn't think anything of yep, it, right? Yep. Then while I was eating, I like just pass out. Damn. You know, <laughs> then it's like, shit, what happened? You know, and then I had to tell him, okay, I, I think I need to go back to the hotel or whatever. And then it's like, okay, you know, I see you tomorrow. Mm. So next morning, he calls me. He says, okay, uh, to meet at his hotel, yeah. you know, like. So then when I went, he stayed in a, of course, nicer hotel, whatever. And yep. I said, okay, you better eat all of this. I don't want you to like. <laughs> and then he said, you know, I was out. He was out until four in the morning that that last night. And I said, you missed it, man. We went to the sea and then we were at this building and then we had like this party and then like blah, blah, blah. But the entire party and everything it's not just for party mm, definitely you know that's kind of like the way they work yep. it's, it's part networking yep. it's partying and then you know of course at the party there will be art or there will be something like you know art to see or whatever and it's not even formal it's like somebody's house some mm. you know collector and but these are important uh, yeah, key moments, yeah, moments yeah, yeah. yeah so I mean and then when you uh, uh like for him to me, like as a as a uh, art center director, right? Like big art center and all that. He's when he goes out to to party, right? He's like uh, almost every night he needs to go out. Sixty and, plus, yo. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you see, like you are a museum director, right? Yep. There, it's like they place you the same place as CEOs of companies. Oh, interesting. You know, so like. As a museum director, he was out with like uh, 
his peers from like LV, wow. from Chanel, from whatever. These are all culture-linked companies, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And you are peers. Yep. Can make you things know, happen. It does, doesn't yeah. matter if I run a, a million dollar a year kind of thing or you run a one billion dollar yep, yep. a year. Doesn't matter. But yeah, we are creatives, you know, and then like we work with, together with each other and this kind of thing. Uh, and respect, you know, mutual respect. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, here, the problem to me is that it's not education. Is mm. To me, it's not. We have a lot of education. We have a lot of outreach. We have yep. a lot of everything else we have. You know, program-wise, we have a lot of programs, but no direction. Okay, so assuming, <laughs> assuming it's not all doom and gloom, mm. assuming... What is what is some what what are some things that we can change? Because it seems like a lot. Yes, leadership and uh, vision, everything. Mm. We can't wait for the top to have something like this. Mm. So, assuming it's people on the ground, the mm. the, the 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 ones practicing the craft mm. and everything, what is something that we can do, or what is something that we have to change? I guess internally in our mindset to, I guess to to, to continue pushing it, because we, we can't wait for someone to have this mm. vision that we follow. Mm. Assuming mm. because everything, in in my knowledge. When, when I think of art, I guess in general, mm. um, the one thing that comes to mind most clearly is the graffiti movement and how mm. street art in general, it all came from uh, people having that same energy, wanting to do it mm. from the ground up and it became, and it snowballed into an entire movement with the whole hip hop movement. I, I, yeah. I think graffiti grew, right? Because yep. if you really follow uh, the growth of graffiti and the guys who were very involved in it there's actually a lot of discourse what the contemporary art people say within themselves yep. they challenge each other you yep. know like the after a while it became quite technical like like what is the idea of graffiti mm. you know they, they, they also embrace like all these technologies and you know, machines that spurt out the uh, uh, paint from the spray paint. Even the street art thing was quite controversial. They didn't really know if that was graffiti or not yeah, because it's yeah, so yeah. legal. I mean, the whole legality that, thing but as well. There, yeah. there is also, I forgot the name of it, but I was following it at one point where they even have uh, online, right? There's this group that calls themselves like a research center. You okay, know, okay. Gra- so they were creating apparatuses a, a to... To paint, like machines. Oh, is it like know, a that, printing machine thing? Like like a like a dot matrix spray paint thing, mm. like where they uh, spray paint on the floor, yep, 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 you yep, know, yep, and yep. then like uh, uh, even what do you call this? Like uh, using laser, like yeah. whatever, like all They're sorts of things. Well, like, yeah, yeah, this kind of thing. So, what I'm trying to say is, why it grew, right? Is because graffiti spoke about graffiti. It's like. I'm a graffiti artist, you're a graffiti artist. We talk about graffiti art. Yep. You know, but there's not enough talk between the art, you know, art and art. Like, do we talk about art today? I don't think so. Mm. You know, we talk about sales. We talk about uh, which gallery is showing, uh, you know, what is your, your work like. But nobody really asks, like, what is art anymore? Like the definition of it? No, like just between artists. You know, even like writers, like, you know, they were just, a lot of it is like descriptive writing about uh, what was seen, mm-hmm. you know, who was there, yep. you know. Uh, I don't know. I think there's not enough conversation about art itself. Not the meaning of art, what, what is to define art, but 
you need to talk about the art. You know, as in like you need to have a sort of a assessment of the art being produced, like a critique of the art mm. being produced. But when I say critique, not like a attack. Uh, yep, yep. But like uh, like conversations. Like discourse. Know? Discourse is yeah. it's a very interesting word. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you need to have these conversations. And as long as you don't have it, you will never identify who has a vision, you know, mm. like, like oh, that's what, interesting. What, yeah. what it is. Yeah. You know, because everybody is working in their own silos. And, yep. you know, you can, like people shout, shout out about different things, right? Like, because, you know, uh, things that are related to uh, social life or, you know, their rights and things like that. But then that's living. That's being human. Yep, that's yep. fighting for your rights. Yep. But then art is a, another thing you know in a way mm. wait, wait, I mean you what you, you, mean you can see it yeah. together but okay let's say how do I give an example without what is a good example of something that people fight for you know mm. one dollar chicken rice <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the recent one that was mm. that that totally perplexed me, the nasi lemak, you know, uh, case. Do you read about this? Nasi lemak. Yeah. So there was this big, uh, argument going on online about because somebody created this thing called the peranakan nasi lemak. Sure. And then somebody else said that there's no such thing as peranakan nasi lemak. There's only nasi lemak. You sure. know. And then of course, then all the the counterclaims, right? Like whether it's a Malay thing, a Chinese the thing, the, uh, yeah, the authenticity, yeah, okay. all these things. So it went haywire, and then it was brought to my attention by a curator from Asian Civilizations Museum, by the way, because we are talking about transfer of culture, evolution of culture. Fair enough. You know, in this case, food, and yep. you know, like. Uh, syncretic practices. So this is how curators think, okay? Like, <laughs> okay. Something nasi lemak, then all these chim words start to appear, right? It's like, yeah. Okay. But, but, uh, okay, that then became a very serious, uh, I don't know, like squabble about race, identity, and everything, right? Mm. Of course, if you transfer, uh, if I'm an artist and I'm, I'm, I'm like in debt, discussion that is a discussion on identity and mm -hmm. ownership and mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. but that doesn't automatically makes it art just because i'm an artist or i don't need to also i don't need to include that discussion in my art my artwork can be totally something else oh definitely yeah you get what i mean yeah so them of course it can be intertwined la. i'm not saying it cannot it can uh but we must be able to look at it objectively, you know, like that debate on identity and on ownership and everything. And then the next debate on like, okay, it might be good there, but when it is made into an artwork, it might not be that good. Mm -mm -mm. You know, so the artwork needs to have a sort of separate life from the real life activism. Interesting. You get what I mean? I, I sort of get it. Don't really get it. Because if you uh, make a poster, let's yes, say, right? Yes. Okay, you design a poster and then the poster is uh, talking about, let's say, uh, anti-racism or something yep. like this. 
If it's a bad poster, it's a bad poster. Straight up, I people get tell the, you. I get the message, but it's a bad poster. Versus the subject matter itself, mm. when you are debating it, it is a valid subject matter, you know, with voices, with people who are like debating it yep. in, in real life, you know, speaking to each other. But when it is turned into a poster, it is a piece of graphic design. If it's bad graphic design, it's bad graphic design, lah, you know. If it is good, then it can represent everybody yep, or yep, something yep. like that, right? Just like the Hope Obama, yep. you know, it became a symbol because, because it's, yeah. you know, it's coherent. People accept the whole aesthetics of it, the symbolism of it, you know. This so the concept and the execution hits. Mm, is, it, is it something mm, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah interesting. So, but subject matter same, right? Yep. So doesn't mean uh, doesn't mean I'm a good debate debater or activist. It doesn't mean that I'm a I'm a good artist. It doesn't translate lah. Yeah. That way. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily translate. Yeah. You know, my work might still be talking about that thing that I'm a I'm a I'm an activist for, but it doesn't mean it's good art. Mm-mm. It doesn't automatically mean it's good art. So I guess more <laughs> more. S- Discourse and more self-awareness. Would yeah, it so be like that? Are you accepting? Uh, can people accept if the piece of art I make that has the same messages as what I'm fighting for is not good enough as art? But okay, let's I say, get the message, yeah. but as an artwork, I'm sorry. But if know? it's a bad artwork, it gives you chance to improve upon it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that's the thing, yeah, right? It, so only the art is bad. Mm. The message is still another strong. Story, yep, yeah. Yep. So but we don't even talk about that. <laughs> okay. Understand That's what, what I'm mean. trying to say. Okay, okay. You you get what I mean? <laughs> like just because I'm I fight for this cause and then I make art that is also fighting for this cause, automatically okay, like accepted, you know. It's like in a glass house, lah. Yeah. Interesting. So so as long as we don't do that, you know, the, what are we doing then as artists? Uh, because we're talking about art, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so I think from our entire conversation I can gather that we need more discourse more self-awareness and art in Singapore is saved by coffee shops I think if we simplify the word discourse right mm. just having conversations you know like because we can have good conversations we can have bad conversations discourse sounds a bit too like academic <laughs> airy fairy like well, very you know very chim, you yep. know, and then people get a bit put off by mm. what do you mean by discourse? You know, it becomes very theoretical. Yep. But just having conversations first, you know, like we don't even, we can't even, we can't even most of the time be honest. I can't, mm. I know I can't because like, you know, how, you know, like people are so sensitive <laughs> so these days, I notice, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. dear. <laughs> interesting interesting you know what i mean and and i see this even for works that are made by good friends like old friends and and not just in things like painting or you know even in other mediums like sometimes i feel like telling them i mean you might get praises from the public but i'm sorry you know as an artist between you and me it's not up to to what I know you mm. can deliver or, you know, what we are exposed to, you know, what we we know of the creative world, you know, like we can do a lot better, but sometimes it's not so easy to say that. Is it like know? an ego thing? Like a bit, we are afraid of, to be a bit too fragile in that sense. Maybe, I don't know. Because uh, I, I would hmm. imagine I would, 
I will want criticism from from people I trust. Mm. I will want fair criticism and constructive criticism because it is it is important to be self aware. As we mm, talked mm, about, it's important mm. to be aware that you do not have the full scope three sixty perspective mm. of what's good and what's not good. Mm. Because as we talked about before. People have different conceptions. People have different experiences. People see mm. things differently. And mm. sometimes that particular experience could be the contributing factor to whatever you're creating mm. that could push it even further. Mm. So people that you trust, not anybody, mm. not anybody on the fucking internet, random mm. comments, but mm. people you trust. I think that mm. is important. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, more, I mean the the real uh, people who are real close to me, I, I, I can tell it to them. But sometimes... But the thing is, not all the time you, mm. you know, it's it's not that easy. I know, but I think the more we do it, the better we get. And I think conversations also now can happen where it is, it crosses whatever borders, right? Because we can speak oh. to someone in whatever country Definitely. we want, you know. So that's yep. the benefit we have right now, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and what I'm when I say conversations, I'm talking about conversations about art because mm. I think we do have conversations. You know, we connect with people in the US, in Europe, in wherever we want, but not enough about the art that is made. Mm. You know, uh, that's just how I, I I feel about it. Interesting. Yeah. All right. In closing, I just have one last question. What what are your thoughts about dreams? What Man. what do you have any you have lived on this plane for 40 plus years? <laughs> do you have any particular interesting I want to interesting dreams, but do you have any interesting theories about dreams? Because dreams, people have very, very wild theories about it. You mean dreams, dreams? Dreams, dreams, yeah. Okay. Dreams in general, because yeah. depending on your religious, spiritual needle, really. Yeah. At the say, moment, yeah. yeah. At the moment, it's irritating the hell out of me. <laughs> because it's <laughs> It's preventing me from waking up. You know, like, like I want to wake up and I'm dreaming and I'm like, okay, I know I'm consciously knowing that I'm dreaming, right? And actually I want to wake up and then, but the dream drags on and I have to entertain this dream. <laughs> and then in the end, when I wake up, I'm like, shit, I'm like 20 minutes <laughs> later than what the time I want to wake up. So it's a at, curse. Huh? Yeah. At the moment. But when I was a kid, right? Yeah. I had this really wild experience, which I'm sure is a dream, mm. but I you I cannot be hundred sure. percent sure. Okay, what what is it? You know, so I was sleeping in my parents' room, yep, and I was at the on the same bed as them, and then I woke up uh, at the uh, what do you call that the 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 bed head frame? of the the, the bed head. mast yeah the, yeah okay because it had it's an old school bed it had the head of the bed right it yep. had drawers it had like cabinets uh, okay, right? it had okay, like a right. display cabinet whatever okay, okay. it's very old school like yep. probably from 70s or eight, something like that then I was resting my hands there and facing the window uh oh right okay. <laughs> so I'm looking out of the window the window is open I'm looking out uh -oh. of the window <laughs> And I see an entire circus in the sky. What? Yeah. So I'm like, until today, it's so real, right? Uh. I feel like I did wake up. I did go to the window. I did look out the window and I see this Ferris wheel going around and I see, you know, some uh, 
women that look like witches they were flying around but they're not scary at all okay, you know, okay. they're like so there's this big carnival happening yeah. at my window yeah and you know it's so real that I I cannot imagine myself dreaming <laughs> you, you get what I yeah, mean yeah, yeah. until today I cannot yeah. like was it because I don't remember waking up mm. or like you know I don't remember the dream like I don't know. I, But it really that, could be a number of possibilities. It could yeah. be it could be a dream. Yeah. And you dreamt it. It could be real. I mean, yeah. who's to say what's real, what's not real? I mean, that could entirely be true. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, as an adult, I would say it's, it was a dream. But then, you know. Do you want it to be real? But <laughs> No, I, I, I don't. But the feeling of realness, mm. I think it overpowers every idea I have about it whether it was real or whether it was a dream mm. it like almost doesn't matter anymore doesn't matter but you know but that happened that's what I'm saying it's, it's a like, key memory yeah. <laughs> so it was really weird and it was one memory that one of those memories that I bring with me all the time yeah. you know like oh, I know that happened you know and I, I still remember it you know that kind of thing and then you know amongst other memories uh, yeah so Uh, I I used to have uh, frequent dreams as a uh, up till I think early 20s yeah uh, that I can fly okay yeah that's a you common know? one yeah like but the situation is so always frustrating it's such that I'm being chased after or something like that and then I would oh. like I would like Brad, yeah, yeah, and then in my mind, I work so hard to like. No, I have to like elevate myself, <laughs> like go off the ground, and I'm like basically running above the ground. Oh right? dear, like, like up in the sky. It's like yeah, that's the idea of flying, and it it like over the years, you know, it, it keeps repeating, repeating the same story. Always get being chased by something, mm. by somebody, Mm-mm. and then you know, yeah. Have you ever considered them to be like divine inspiration or any things of that that sort? Uh, not divine, but later in life, right? You know, when I this has to do with re- religion also, lah. Uh, how, let's say, in Islamic belief, you know, like dreams are the uh, described has often been described as the devil's uh, uh vision, like game for you in your sleep. It's like you know, it gives you this thing to play with yep, yep. you know basically to lull you or either lull you or to scare you or whatever whatever it wants mm. you know uh, one of the motives of of course is not to make you wake up so that you <laughs> you know you, you continue sleep, playing yeah, like, yeah. you sleep longer yep. and then you're just lulled by it, that kind of thing uh, and certain things uh, have been uh decoded like if you dream this 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 like especially for uh black magic you know if mm. if you have been hexed uh, yeah like you would have a certain dream mm. and then there's a and this one has been mentioned quite a lot like in islam like if you dream of this it means something is happening to you so you better go and seek treatment or mm-hmm. yeah something like that so it it, it You know, it becomes different when you when you when you notice when you, it, la. No, and when you are more informed about, yep. or when you want to take that uh, religious reference, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, the only divine 
dream uh, i think for muslim is when you dream of the prophet mm. you know of uh, muhammad because uh, if you are dreaming and you are sure that it is the prophet muhammad because uh, he cannot be replaced in a yep. dream yep you know so that's the only exception whereas everything else is a game is a, like you know yeah do you subscribe to the the game one I you know I I believe in the how do you describe like the duality right there's mm. the good and the evil so of course you know I I believe in it you know but whether it's how much you of how much of which side do you want to entertain or go with what, you what, get do you what mean? I mean no so if you Say now I say right okay there's the good and the evil right okay let's say the dream is the devil's playground yep. and then do I want to go along with that oh. you know if if I want to go along and then yeah I can you know I keep going and play in that, yep. that, yep. that world and you know that kind of thing uh, or I want to go back to the other side or so it's it's a choice you you make because at the end of the day you are conscious of it mm-hmm. you know we, once you have the understanding and then you just choose you know where you want to go some people want a bit of both some yeah. people want to go one way you know some people just want to go the other way and yeah i mean the devil's playground sounds like a very, sounds like a very fun place to go to admittedly i mean uh, uh until you know the 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 thing with the devil is always like It all looks very glossy and like oh, candy, you know, yeah. until the where he wa- really wants to bring you to, right? Like, ta-da, you know, like yeah, well, yeah we we don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um. Thank you for the fantastic conversation. Is there anything? Okay. Where can people find you? Uh. What are your socials? Do you want to plug anything before we close? Yes. Well. Uh, On Instagram, I'm Kai Hori, so okay. I'm not so difficult S- to find. Simple enough. I don't really post things anymore. I mean, your uh, your, your blog is pretty pretty dope. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to you know get my ass on that and <laughs> put in more writing. Is it just kaihori.com? Yeah, kaihori.com. Yeah. That's my website. And then of course chanhori.com. Our uh, gallery is undergoing. Uh, uh, meditation reflection <laughs> re, essential you know yeah, yeah. so so we, we're gonna come out with a new website soon mm. uh, the current one is old you yep. know like uh, we're gonna probably uh, kill the current it's like one it's a revamp yeah we're gonna make a new one and the new one should be more interactive oh fantastic uh, meaning yeah. interactive as in not uh, fun and games but <laughs> but you know uh having uh, input of visitors and then mm. us also giving like i think the new website will have more uh content in terms of writing mm, cool. uh, uh you know uh what do you call it opinion pieces and then like uh, asking for uh, contributions from from readers uh we are also looking into like uh making just recently the idea of making more like quizzes Ah. on our website what do you mean yeah but <laughs> i i realized that quizzes are a very good way uh to educate also no like if you ask me for i mean what you did is just quizzing right like okay what does a curator do you know okay. a, da, da, da. Okay. 
But you can play these things, but in more serious mm. subject matter, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, uh, so it's not going to be like, guess which curator you are. It's not <laughs> that. One la. that's that, good. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit thrown off. I was like, who is? <laughs> but not, not that kind of like, you know, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, more knowledge based than, but make it, making it accessible. Yeah, definitely. You know? uh, but also asking people for opinions, like maybe even some quiz will be like very difficult uh, questions about the art scene or, yep, you know, yep. yeah. Interesting. So, so that's like something that. to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So All right. working on that. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you yeah. Kai. Thank you. It's a wrap. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.